I've always said, listen, college football is king of the world. If you follow college football in the South, you may notice schedules are looking a lot more diverse. There's a new emphasis on historically black college football, recruiting, and big-time opponents, like last week when UNC Chapel Hill played Florida A&M University. Race and Southern Culture reporter Leonita Inge has the story. The college football game between the Carolina Tar Heels and the FAMU Rattlers was displayed as an HBCU celebration. There were even t-shirts printed and sold bearing the title, date, and football helmets facing off in Carolina blue and white and orange and green. And then there was the famed FAMU Marching 100 marching through the Chapel Hill campus to Keenan Memorial Stadium. So why play FAMU this year? Tommy Mitchell is a super Rattler fan. I've been married to a Rattler for 59 years. All of my children went to FAMU. Five of my grandchildren went to FAMU. Mitchell is a former FAMU National Alumni Association president. So it doesn't matter if the Rattlers win or lose. Well, what we're concerned about is always is be representative. Obviously, if we don't have the budget that a team has, we can't always expect uh, that uh, to com really compete. The last time the Tar Heels played a historically black school was North Carolina A&T State University in 2015. The Aggies lost 53-14. to HBCUs are, across the board, smaller in size and resources. So what turns out to be a practice game for these large, predominantly white powerhouse programs turns into a money game for the HBCU, pay to play. Media reports say FAMU got almost a half million dollars to play at Keenan Stadium. Raja Rahim is an assistant professor of African American history at Appalachian State University. Her focus is the black experience in U.S. history through sports. We're starting to have those conversations. We're talking about Black Lives Matter, but then that larger umbrella comes in these notions of this new conversation of diversity, equity, and inclusion, and how do we continue to level the playing field. But Raheem questions if the game is worth Miami playing Bethune-Cookman this weekend, Duke University playing North Carolina A&T State the weekend after that, and why UNC played FAMU. So if I'm thinking about the millions of dollars that a predominantly white institution is making off of these money games, I don't think a $450,000 payout is fair. A great opportunity, a national televised game, uh, and we've told our guys, you know, this isn't a quote-unquote money game. Uh, this is a get money game. That's FAMU head football coach Willie Simmons before the 56-24 to loss to Carolina. It was a game that could have been canceled after more than 20 FAMU players were deemed ineligible. This is Simmons after the game. People may have given us a pass on this one, you know, because of the, 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 the stuff that we went through over the last 48 hours and the fact that we're playing a Power 5 school, but uh, won't get any more grace. Uh, with the with the rest of them. So we'll be expected to be, you know, on the other side of, of the win column. UNC head football coach Mac Brown called the game a success. But overall, I thought it was a, a great opening ball game. Give them credit. They played hard. They played well. It ends up that only three players out of their um, two deep didn't play. 
Todd Cody of Raleigh is a Carolina graduate and fan and was glad to make the game. He said he made new friends, got to see the Marching 100, and supports future games like this one. Cody says it's a new day for all college football players. Uh, they have a lot more ability to get noticed. They have a lot more ability to make money as, as they get seen with the, the new situation where they can uh, name image likeness. And uh, so the more publicity, the better. In recent years, some historically black football programs have moved to non-black conferences for that exposure. Leonida Inge, North Carolina Public Radio, WUNC. We live a big life on a big stage, Big Ten. There is a lot of money to be made from college sports. Just ask the Big Ten Conference. Last month, it announced an exclusive broadcast deal reportedly worth more than $7 billion. But as NPR's Andrew Limbong reports, none of it will be going directly into the players' pockets. At a training camp press conference, Ohio State quarterback C.J. Stroud was asked by a reporter if a cut of the Big Ten broadcast deal should be going to the athletes. Um, I mean, I don't, I'll probably have to think about that a little more, but just off rip, I would say yes. <laughs> he goes on to give a more diplomatic answer, saying that, yeah, his tuition is covered and he's grateful for that, but... Uh, me personally, my mom has always taught me to know my worth. Jason Stahl is the head of the College Football Players Association, or CFBPA. They're not even pretending anymore. It's about money. It's about creating the biggest deal you possibly can so you can get a lot of good press in the sports and entertainment industry. The CFBPA isn't a union, but more like an advocacy and organizing group that's argued that athletes playing in this upper tier of college football should get a cut of the revenue. NPR reached out to the Big Ten for a response, but they didn't get back to us in time. Stahl says that in the past, the Big Ten would have argued that everything they do is in the service of educating the student-athlete. But now, with this deal, and over the summer, adding two California schools to the conference, that pretense is gone. Because the idea that a college athlete getting on a cross-continental flight to play a game is somehow in service of an academic agenda is obviously absurd. There's been one recent change that's allowed college athletes access to a source of income. About a year ago, after a Supreme Court ruling, the NCAA changed their rules to allow student athletes to monetize off their name, image, and likeness. This means now college athletes are allowed to get endorsement deals and do commercials. But that's third-party money, not money coming from the team, school, or conference system. I think that the money that they're making for the universities definitely outweigh the price of that college tuition. Jordan Meacham is on the leadership committee of the CFBPA. He's also a former college football player himself, mostly playing at Sacred Heart University before moving to South Dakota State University. And he says that for him, getting paid would have meant that he didn't have to stress out about regular expenses, food, rent, books. If I would have been able to receive some sort of compensation or some kind of help, I would have not focused on the other things as much and put more focus into academics and football and so on. Victoria Jackson is a sports historian at Arizona State University. She says, historically, we as a culture understood the athletic scholarship as a fair trade for their efforts. But now... These athletes play for schools that are bringing in hundreds of millions of dollars, conferences that are bringing in now billions of dollars, and an NCAA system 
in total that's bringing in close to $20 billion annually. Football and basketball take up a lot of the conversation around college sports because they bring in the money, money that's used to subsidize other sports, which introduces a racial dynamic to this, says Jackson, considering the top-tier players in NCAA football and basketball are majority black. And the athletes who are being subsidized are often the privileged kids who play water polo or rowing or tennis or golf and are less likely to be in need of having a scholarship experience as the reason they get to go to college. She says she'd like to see the conferences writing this, but it might again come upon the Supreme Court to do something about it. Andrew Limbong, NPR News. I believe you asked a question earlier about uh, the heat here in L.A. It it has been um, extremely unbearable. And I've noted that at my uh, uh, work site, uh, there's only a little bit of shaded parking areas, and people have um, almost came to actually fighting for these parking spaces. Um, also, at the my work site, the AC unit went out for a brief period of time. Well, I wouldn't say brief, but it was out for at least about three hours today. So that you know being in the office and it being stuffy and unbearable, and it was definitely unbearable. As excessive heat heads our way, taking safety precaution is a necessity. 23ABC's Ava Kirshner tells us how employers in outdoor industries are keeping their workers safe and what to do if they aren't. Ava. In California, heat illness prevention laws go into effect when it is over 80 degrees. Here in Bakersfield, the last time we had a high temperature under 80 degrees was in June. For years and years and years, and I would put this in global terms, we, all of us, have been trying to outrun Mother Nature. But it's pretty clear uh, that Mother Nature uh, has outrun us. Dangerous heat is looming for California, and it's projected to stay for longer than usual, including here in Bakersfield. With extreme heat in the forecast, heat illness and heat-related deaths are more likely to occur. Uh, We are anticipating uh, this extreme heat to be a length and duration, the likes of which we haven't experienced in some time. Yes, we're used to record-breaking temperatures, uh, but this is an extended period. California was the first state to have heat illness prevention and regulation laws put in place in 2005. These laws protect outdoor workers or those who work in agriculture, construction, landscaping, mail delivery, and oil and gas operations. When this heat regulation originally came out, we had uh, about 10 deaths uh, a year from heat. And in the last few years, we've only had one or two heat-related deaths. So we've definitely seen a decline in heat-related fatalities here in California with the passage of this law. The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention say that California is in the top category of heat-related deaths, averaging 49 to 221 deaths per year. Signs of someone experiencing heat illness are headaches or nausea, heavy sweating or hot and dry skin, and even sometimes slurred speech, seizures, and loss of consciousness. The laws in place to prevent that require employers to provide drinking water and shade in a large enough area that it can cover all employees who would be on a recovery and rest period, another mandatory law for outdoor workers. Employers must monitor employees, report any heat-related illness symptoms, and seek medical care if necessary. And in this 110-degree heat, that we're going to see this heat wave coming in. It's really important that employers encourage their employees to take these cool down rest periods, to go in the shade and drink water, 
because if they don't, we're going to see a spike in heat illnesses across the state. If you notice any of these safety laws not being put into effect, you can contact OSHA under your name or anonymously. One can call the number 1-866-924-9757 or visit Cal OSHA's website. In studio, Ava Kirshner, 23 ABC News, connecting you. White supremacy is the sickness. This Labor Day comes after some of the most tumultuous years in the history of the American worker. A pandemic roller coaster of historically high unemployment and now quite low unemployment numbers. Tonight, we look at what that means for workers themselves. We invited some of you over Twitter to tell us if you feel secure in your jobs. In the answers, we saw stress and exhaustion. People who say they are struggling, like this woman who said she's seeking to retire soon after years under pressure. Or this one who said she's carrying more burden than she expected to at this age. But others told us they're enjoying working from home and finding satisfying opportunities. To talk about this complicated moment, I'm joined by Maximilian Alvarez of The Real News Network and host of the Working People podcast and Sadal Neely, professor at the Harvard Business School. Focusing on the workers themselves, here are two powerful tweets that we received. A local school worker wrote, COVID relief has ended. The school is understaffed and overwhelmed. The stress is unbearable. But a librarian told us, even though, quote, we don't eat out much, don't travel, I'm more satisfied. I get to play and experiment. We want to talk about both the good and the bad, but Maximilian Alvarez, let's start with you. And which kinds of workers are struggling the most right now? Well, you know, it's um, hard to say uh, who's struggling the most, but I think what I really want to underscore for people is that um, people are struggling across different industries from many of the same problems, as you mentioned in that tweet. I really want to stress for people that chronic and deliberate understaffing is probably the most common complaint that I hear from workers in retail and service from education workers. We're starting a new school year. We have been hemorrhaging teachers because we've been underpaying, under-resourcing them, vilifying them relentlessly in the media, and now we're running out of teachers. So that is very much a crisis, but it is also happening in healthcare. Healthcare has been hemorrhaging uh, staff after two and a half years of the pandemic, and we have no real plan to sort of replace all of these lost workers. Hmm. You're hearing that now, um, Sadal Neely, about understaffing, stress on workers across the board. Where do we see workers finding more satisfaction, more flexibility? Now, that's something you study. You know, one of the biggest things that came out of the global pandemic is remote work or remote work revolution, as we've seen. It's the grandest experiment where people have had the capability to work from home. And more recently, hybrid work has been uh, introduced more and more in companies where people have both in-person and remote experiences. That has increased uh, job satisfaction in extraordinary ways, increased productivity, increased the ability for people to have work-life integration in ways that we've never seen in this country since the 1950s. Interesting. We did get a tweet about that. Uh, this person wrote, I've seen hiring policies change, people to work completely remotely, more flexibility. All of these things have made it possible to hire the best people for the positions and better pay, too. You know, something else we noticed, I want both of you to pay attention to in these, is sort of a, talking especially about unionization. Um, 
Here are two more personal stories revolving around that. First, a tweet. In this, we had a heating and air conditioning tech write us that since they joined a union six months ago, quote, pay is almost double. And they wrote, I'll finally have a little more room to breathe. Here's the other. Quote, I work for a major railroad and we are about to strike. That person wrote, we work to the point of exhaustion. Maximilian, unions had been losing workers for some decades now, but, but this speaks to that exhaustion factor. What is this moment right now for labor unions? It's a really pivotal moment because, again, we have a tight labor market, the likes of which we may never see again in this century. The boomers are uh, retiring out. A lot of people died or got sick and debilitated from COVID. Uh, and also, as I aforementioned, you know, a lot of um, industries have been slashing their workforce. So, you know, we've been hearing this no one wants to work narrative. But in fact, if you hear the workers side of it, you'll hear folks at Chipotle, at Starbucks, at, you know, a school in Minneapolis or on the class one freight railroads, you'll hear all of these folks screaming, we don't have enough people. We can't even hire and retain people because we're being treated so poorly. A lot of the country probably doesn't realize that we are closer right now to a national rail shutdown on the freight railroads than we've been in my lifetime. And because workers have been running to the ground and um, the profit maximizing cost cutting decisions from uh, corporate CEOs has ruined the supply chain and turned what was once a good job into a miserable experience. It's a real crisis. So now we've been talking about something that spans different kinds of work, different stresses and different kinds of satisfaction. But you've also noticed some gaps in gender and generation that's happening right now with workers. Can you talk about that? Absolutely. It's kind of a moment in time where there's fierce divide between employers and employees, particularly around the return to office. Those who are uh, leaders of companies, oftentimes uh, people of a certain age, uh, have a perception of what the best way of work is, and oftentimes they prefer the butts and seats, command and control. On the other hand, employees who are digital natives, who are much more savvy, who can go between the in-person and the digital, prefer that disproportionately. And so this gap is massive, and I actually don't know how it's going to get resolved unless there's some kind of compromise, particularly from the sides of leaders, because we've been through the biggest lesson uh, of our lifetimes, and well-being is another thing that people are thinking about, caring about a lot a lot of well-being issues. I want to ask both of you as we wrap this up, what do you think is most misunderstood about workers in America, any kind of workers and where we're at? And um, Sadal Neely, let's start with you. They want autonomy. They want control in their lives. They want to be able to contribute and produce for their organizations in a way that also works for them from a physical standpoint, from a mental standpoint, from a family standpoint. So the kind of discontent that we're seeing with the push for return to office is because there's this loss of control, loss of autonomy, loss of integration in their lives that they so want to maintain. Maximilian Alvarez. You know, I think that the COVID-19 pandemic supercharged workers' understanding of their own worth because for a brief moment, this system was forced to admit how much it needs us. And all of us were able to finally recognize how much we and our fellow workers are 
essential. And I think that that has had a lot to do with the growing labor movement in this country, from the unionization wave to the strikes we've been seeing to record numbers of people quitting their jobs. But the backlash has been just as fierce. The bosses do not like this worker militancy, and they want to put all of us back into our place. So I think that you are seeing a real struggle between working people uh, and a system that admits that it values our labor as essential, but not our lives. And working people are pushing back against that and saying, we are worth more and we're going to fight for it. Maximilian Alvarez of the Real News Network and the Working People Podcast and Sadal Neely of Harvard University's Business School. Thank you to you both. says it's quitting time. I said it's quitting time. As the foreman, as the one says when it's quitting time, a terror. Quitting time! Quitting time! In this last portion of the show, we usually do call-ins kind of reflecting what Peniel Joseph was just talking about. Call-ins about your lived experience of one kind or another. And for this Labor Day week, they'll all be about jobs that not enough people want to do right now, jobs with labor shortages. It'll be your decisions to leave jobs experiencing worker shortages or to not enter those fields in the first place. We'll talk about teacher shortages today. I'll give you the specific question in a minute. Martin Luther King once said, no work is insignificant. All labor that uplifts humanity has dignity and importance. Dignity is one of the chapter titles in Peniel's book. And by King's standards, some of today's important jobs probably aren't providing enough dignity or enough pay or enough good working conditions to fill all the openings. Why not? So let's mark Labor Day week by having some of those conversations about your lived experience in jobs falling out of fashion. And yes, we do begin with teachers. This is the day after Labor Day, a classic first day of school, although more and more public school systems begin in August these days. But the latest stats are that 2 million fewer students are in public schools nationwide than just before the pandemic, and various places in the United States are experiencing various kinds of teachers' uh, shortages, teacher shortages. Within certain subject areas like math, special ed, um, other STEM subjects, uh, in addition to math and World languages have been an issue prior to the pandemic, kind of perennially. COVID-19 seems to have exacerbated these problems. The teacher shortage looks different in different areas and varies widely by district. Places affected by teacher shortages include rural areas, traditionally places with high costs of living where teacher pay doesn't keep up, and urban areas with high poverty rates. States with low teacher wages have been in the news recently. Maybe you've some of, seen some of this. Um, Missouri, I heard a, an NPR segment about this recently. They have an average starting salary of about $33,000, $33,000, the lowest in the country, according to the National Education Association, the Teachers Union. 25% of districts in Missouri are operating on a four-day week now, to try and make up for the low wages and attract more teachers, according to the New York Times. I wonder what the families think about that. Kids going to school only four days. A lot of the kids probably like it. In Newark, the starting salary for new teachers has been raised from 55000 to 62000 in an attempt to address the teacher shortage that that city in our listening area is experiencing. 
And as many of you may have heard in the news, Florida, as we dot from Missouri to Newark down to Florida, is planning to allow veterans to obtain a five-year teaching certificate with no bachelor's degree in order to address their teacher shortage problems. And we know about Florida being an epicenter of the education culture wars. We're going to go first to Charlotte in Larchmont. You're on WNYC. Hi, Charlotte. You left the school system recently? Hi. Um, first of all, Brian Lair, I'm a huge fan. I've, I think I've actually called in before about teaching, um, and I just want to say thank you. I'm actually in a unique position. I haven't fully left the teaching profession, um, but I have left um, the system because I just feel that, especially since the pandemic, the education system is failing, and it's failing, most importantly, students who are not being seen and valued for who they are because everything gets caught up in the bureaucracy of it rather than what's most important, which is children enjoying school and enjoying learning. So this year, I'm actually um, going to be a homeschool teacher for a family, um, and I'm working with two children, uh, their siblings, and... I'll be getting to really work really closely with them and learn their learning styles and how I can best teach to them as every teacher should have the opportunity to do. Why why didn't you decide the alternative route would have been stay and try to give the students that individualism and dignity and everything that you're talking about? Why not? Right. Well, I'm, I'm not at a why not place yet. I feel like I'm right now you know, taking a pause to kind of remember why I love teaching because I was feeling as many teachers have been feeling the burnout and feeling like I'm not getting enough to su- support to do that, mm-hmm. to, to give right. ch- children right. the, the love and support they need because there are too many children in the classroom and not enough teachers or there's too many things on a schedule or too many things being asked of a teacher and not enough time in the day to do it all. Got it. Charlotte, thank you so much for calling us. Here's Linda in Hawaii. Linda, you're on WNYC. Hello from New York. Oh, hi, Brian. I'm a great fan as well, and I've been listening for quite some time. Um, I quit the Department of Education in 2013. Um, I was a high school teacher for 15 years. Um, in New York. I love teaching. I love students, but the the red tape and the bureaucracy of no support for students for teachers and the workload is just ridiculous. You know, it's a hundred thousand dollar a year job and until we make a change in our country we're gonna continue to see the decline in in what we're seeing happening, you know, the miseducation of American children. It's it's sad. It's heartbreaking. Linda, thank you very much. Susan in Westchester, you're on WNYC. Hi Susan. Hi Brian. Uh great fan. I left teaching March 2021. I was a reading specialist and had taught all through the pandemic from home and Zoom for about a year, Uh, well, about six months, actually, from March to June, and then we were sent back into the schools. My classroom was taken away from me, and I was forced to teach students in the hallway. And these were, you know, at-risk readers, and um, we needed a quiet space where we could really focus on the work that we were doing. And we were constantly interrupted by traffic through the hallways, classes, teachers walking through, talking, while I'm trying to do that very important reading instruction. So I just, I had to leave. I wanted to Mm -hmm. do 30 years. I wound Mm -hmm. up getting to 28 and a half years. And I'm sad. I miss my students, but I just felt like I wasn't 
able to do the job I needed to do. You, you mentioned um, the pandemic. There's an essay by a teacher who just left on Huffington Post right now. Teaching for 11 years, I quit my job, or after teaching for 11 years, I quit my job. Here's why your child's teacher might be next by Katie Niemczyk. And one of the things she writes is, um, we were heroes in the pandemic. We were heroes for five minutes when yes. school suddenly went remote and teachers bent over backwards to make it work. But then came the backlash, pandemic fatigue set in, and we had to be the exhausted voices of reason about logistics and safety. Um, and, yes. you know, and, and teachers became the goat. Did you experience uh, that? Yes. Well, we were we were pressured to go back into the buildings, even though many schools were still uh, teaching remotely in Westchester. And then, you know, in order to accommodate the, the, the actual space constrictions of three feet apart and all of that, they had to really use every inch of space in the building. And so suddenly, you know, you were just tossed out of any place you were. And mm -hmm. then parents were upset that the kids mm -hmm. weren't engaged or that the kids didn't have the, the quality of instruction that had been, you know, given in years past. And it's very hard to engage children in a hallway. I guess so. Susan, thank you very much. Kanani in Harlem, you're on WNYC. Hi, Kanani. Hi, good morning, Brian. Thank you so much for taking my call as usual and carving out space for teachers. Yes, I totally agree with that article or the blog on Huffington Post. So yeah, I've been a teacher for like 17 years. I was at Harlem Children's Zone, um, various other charter schools, and I started out as a teaching fellow uh, with the public school district. And in 2018, I had a first grade class, a sea full of dimples. They were the cutest children on the planet. And I was like, I'm obsessed with dimples. And I was like, I'm done. <laughs> like, they're absolutely adorable. Um, I've done high school. I was a director of arts at a high school as well. I was the director of history at Harlem Children's Zone. I've done middle school, high school, you know, even kindergarten, you know, all the way. And um, the micromanaging of people that come from all over the country who've never been in an urban setting telling me that I don't know what to do to teach <laughs> my children that look mm -hmm. like me, I grew up like them, you know, is, is the, and the level of arrogance and the level of how much more they get paid. And a lot of these principals, specifically in charter schools, and I know, you know, whatever, I'll get in trouble for this, but it's the truth, are not actually certified. So you have people hmm. coming from Ohio, from Wisconsin, with this like, um, uh, like uh, pull yourself up by your bootstraps, pioneering mentality. I'm going to go into the hood and I'm going to give these kids, you know, this opportunity. And these schools are falling apart. I spoke to a doorman yesterday, and he used to be a custodian at a charter school. He said he quit because he was a. Um, they made him a substitute teacher, which Whoa. is like... And, and Kanani, unfortunately, that has to be the last word because we're flat out of time for the show. But thank you for that story and your voice. Context of white supremacy. Gusty Renegade in for another broadcast, hopefully to share constructive information on the system of white supremacy. Today's date, Friday, September 9, 2022, so I have been told. This is our weekly summit, Neutralizing Workplace Racism, not for 
spectators. Can't say that enough times or with enough emphasis, not for spectators. In fact, I will make a request. If you listen to Neutralizing Workplace Racism archives, live, whatever it is, you listen to the program, write down, just jot down, this is what's been happening in the workplace. Drop an email. That'll be your investment in the cows. I will send in an email. I think people, uh, they sit out and uh, will send, I'll say, at least five text messages. I think people have probably sent at least five text messages talking about Will Smith's smack from earlier this year. If we can do five text messages for Will Smith and Chris Rock, then we can do one email about our workplace experience, what you have observed, if you have worked on specific codification, how they're dealing with the COVID-19 situation, the heat situation. As I said, there's so many things happening in the workplace. There should be no shortage of commentary about things that are taking place. So if you, and there are lots more people that listen to the archives, right? Everybody, that's the case for all of the programs. So take 60 seconds. It doesn't have to be, you know, a whole book. It doesn't have to be a thousand words. It can be five sentences. Just your observations, What, especially if you've never participated, never called in, or, yeah, I might have participated one time. Workplace racism has been on for six years as a program separately. Uh, so just write down, you know, what's going on with regards to the heat situation. There's so many different components. Drop an email. Let's see if we can get 10 emails for next week, and especially people, if you have never shared, man, we'll keep it anonymous. Don't give out your email, name, nothing. Just let us know what is happening in the workplace. That'll be your way of making sure you are not just being a spectator. Now, Dr. Frances Cress Welsing, man, she said that throw away children, that very last segment on WNYC, which incidentally, they even had a little racist funny in there because that segment is actually called Quitting Time. Right from the movie, Mr. Fuller talks about that all the, all the time, Gone with the Wind. You don't say it's quitting time. I say it's quitting time. And that's what they call the segment, like hardy, har, har, har. Anyway, that segment, Brian Lair, when they concluded, I suspect the final caller, non-white female, that would be my suspicion. She talked about these certain people coming from Ohio and Wisconsin, Big Ten area. Uh, to New York to teach urban areas, lots of language where we're not talking directly. Is this white people coming to teach non-white students? Tell non-white teachers you don't know how what you're doing, how to relate to them, all that. Is that what's happening here? And they're not certified? These white educators, suspected race soldiers who are coming from the Midwest out to New York City to teach in urban areas, but it was the last 
thing that she said. She said, before they had to end the segment, she said they had a custodial worker and they made him, oh, excuse me, a doorman, and they made him a substitute teacher. Have I not been saying that because they've had so many reports on teacher shortages? Well, I've been saying, hey, Dr. Welsing, throw away children. That also is something to sit down and think about in great detail. So, okay, we got through step one. We listened to all the John Legend and Teddy Pendergrass and all the rest of it. And, oh, I love you. you my black king. And, oh, you're my black queen. And, oh, num, 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 num. Okay, Nate, now, we're going to have this offspring. Now, at some point, the way racists have set it up, you probably will not be my black king. You will not be my black queen. I will think you are a no-count coon, just like all the rest of these coons. That being the case, what are we going to do? about the academic situation like that's got to be straight for our child regardless even if I hate your guts and you hate my guts 10 days from now or 10 years from now we have got to have a thorough academic plan that takes into account hey I said you work for DoorDash Uber Eats you come hey I got 20 piece buffalo wing drive off you know Mountain Dew so oh Great. Buffalo wings. That's where I just come on in. And look here. Uh, you don't have anything to do next hour or so. Get on in here and uh, teach this here al- algebra class. Matter of fact, teach the next two, and then we'll go on and let you go. We'll give you a good tip for those wings and everything. Now, get on in there and lock the door. Now, who, who wants to send their child to that? I said that in jest, but like, for real, for real. She said they snatched the doorman. We got this here algebra class, and we're a little short. I know you came to work. Get on in there and teach me. I don't know algebra. They don't either. It doesn't even matter. Just get on in there. It's a whole lot to consider if you are going to produce offspring, system of white supremacy. And again, all of this, Dr. Welsing, again, white genetic annihilation as these classrooms get darker and darker, oh, it's going to be more of that. Oh, how about you thought you were just going to mop the floor? You thought you were just coming to come in here and make breakfast for heaters. Uh-uh. <laughs> You're going to teach two or three classes, too. Maybe we'll pay you. Mm-hmm. Did you hear the one, same report they said in Missouri, the set of, Pause for Michael Brown Jr. They said in Missouri the starting teacher salary is $33,000. They have a four day school week. That is preparation for academic brilliance every weekend is a four-day weekend show me state indeed I was going to go through the rest of the reports however 
there are so many things happening with regards to the workplace. I told you last week, I didn't need to hear from anybody. We could have just did an entire program of just reports, and I think about 90% of them, they would have addressed racism directly. Negra and all of that in the workplace, I, told, I didn't even play the report. Made the black male firefighter, made him attend a Juneteenth celebration with buckets of KFC chicken. I didn't even play it because there are so many reports. It happened again this week. It's happened tons of times. So many reports, I couldn't even play them all. I saw one, though. I said, ooh, I already had the audio done, and there's nothing that I would have extracted from that report to include the robot segment. So I said, dang, I already got the audio, but we got to hear this one, too, because in the midst of everything, teacher shortage, labor shortage, all the labor turnover and arguments about COVID-19 and monkeypox and work from home and hybrid and all the rest of it. In the midst of all of this, there are also reports addressing the 600 series had rubber skin. We spotted them easy, but these are new. They look human, sweat, bad breath, everything. Very hard to spot. I had to wait till he moved on you before I could zero him. Look, I am not stupid, you know. They cannot make things like that yet. Not yet. Not for about 40 years. Are you saying it's from the future? Up and down the West Coast, there's a fight to keep high-paying union jobs from going to robots. On one side, 22,000 dock workers who play a critical role in the global supply chain, moving cargo off of ships onto trucks and trains. On the other, the shipping companies that say they need to automate more of that work in order to stay competitive. The two sides have been in contract negotiations since May, but the struggle dates back decades. Here's NPR's Andrew Shu. I've come to Southern California, to the ports of Los Angeles and Long Beach, where 40% of imports in containers enters the U.S. Think clothes, computers, car parts. It's a vast landscape of ships, cranes, and those colorful steel containers stacked high and wide for miles. And everywhere, trucks hauling those containers out to warehouses and beyond. A year ago, this was the site of a massive logjam. The country had gone on a pandemic buying spree that led to too many ships, too many containers, nowhere to move anything. The shipping industry, represented by the Pacific Maritime Association, says more automation is key to avoiding a repeat. The dock workers, represented by the International Longshore and Warehouse Union, say robots aren't the answer. They'll only kill American jobs. It's a major sticking point. With contract negotiations ongoing, the two sides have agreed to no disruptions to the work, also no commenting on the talks. But dock workers will tell you they're worried about the future. People are absolutely afraid. Jimmy Monty, a crane operator, has never worked at an automated terminal, but he's seen the changes that automation has brought to other parts of this port complex. He points to a ship waiting to be unloaded. In a traditional operation, he says, you'd have a minimum of 16 truck drivers waiting to receive containers off the ship and four top handlers or forklift operators stacking the containers on the dock. Those jobs would all be gone 
they're all gone on automated terminals. Replaced by driverless vehicles and automated stacking cranes. So far, only a few terminals at LA and Long Beach have automated. It's an extremely costly move. Still increasingly, the question appears to be not if more terminals will bring in new technology, but when, and how union workers will fare in the end. It's a dynamic that's existed in some form since the 1960s, when shipping containers revolutionized the industry. Until then, cargo crossed the ocean in sacks and crates and barrels. Longshoremen worked in the holds of ships, using hooks to move goods to shore. Long hours, hard work, everything done by hand. James Spinoza arrived at the tail end of that era. He watched as gangs of longshoremen were replaced by cranes that could lift whole containers of goods at once. The union had foreseen the threat to jobs and negotiated a controversial agreement allowing for some mechanization of the work. At the heart of it was this philosophy. We would go along with mechanization, providing that mechanization took us along. Meaning there was something in it for the workers. Above all, job protection. In 1989 came another turning point. Spinoza, then a rising union leader, traveled to Rotterdam to see a new type of crane that operated without a driver. And would pick up the container and put it onto that chassis, and then we watched it track through the yard and come back to the pile. It was amazing and alarming. His mind immediately went to the jobs that would be lost, as well as those that could be gained. Maintenance and repair of all this equipment because that's replacing our traditional work. You don't see a longshoreman in here. You can't find him. Later, Spinoza wandered into a room that was not part of the tour. The door was open, so I went in, and lo and behold, here was about six or eight people on computers. Interfacing with the automated equipment. It was an aha moment. If cargo was being moved on the docks, union workers had to be on it, no matter the technology. Fast forward to today, union workers at LA and Long Beach are still operating cranes and driving trucks at most of the terminals, but some have moved to new jobs like automation coordinator. For me, it's bittersweet. Rebecca Schlarb, a longtime Marine clerk, now sits in front of six screens overseeing the driverless technologies and troubleshooting problems, which she says are frequent. I'm a little bit of a geek, so I like the actual work. But the amount of jobs that have been lost for both clerks and longshoremen has been so substantial, and, and that's just a very scary prospect. Schlarb says some of her union brothers and sisters have turned down the work at the automated terminals. They don't want anything to do with it. Jimmy Monty, the crane operator, says the fear is pervasive. Every time there's a rumor about a new terminal, even contemplating automation, people are, are scared. Scared that jobs on the waterfront could vanish. This is some of the best-paid blue-collar work in America. Union dock workers can earn over $100,000 a year, and those with years of experience double that. They get free health care. Without the jobs, Monty fears the surrounding communities will wither away. Look at other places in the United States, like Flint, Michigan, Detroit, Michigan, Youngstown, Ohio. Those economies just completely disrupted. Meanwhile, the pressure is on. L.A. and Long Beach are rated among the least efficient ports in the world. More modern ports in the Middle East and China get ships in and out much faster with 24-7 operations. The Pacific Maritime Association says more automation will allow L.A. and Long Beach to handle ever-growing cargo volumes. In a video statement, CEO Jim McKenna described it as a win-win. 
more work all around. We have seen through experience that automated terminals were the most effective in handling historic volumes, while also expanding work opportunities for ILW members. But union members are skeptical. Even if there are efficiencies to be had, they ask, who's really benefiting? Container shipping is dominated by foreign-owned companies like Maersk, Evergreen, and China Ocean Shipping. Yvette Biazovich, who's driven trucks and cranes and now works in the union dispatch hall, warns that Americans will lose out completely if union jobs are outsourced to robots. These machines don't contribute to taxes. They don't contribute to the local county. I think everyone should be a little outraged. In her view, what's at stake is not just a job, but a way of life. I'm a hard worker, and I'm able to put two kids through college, not worry about a mortgage payment, and my husband's sick. Like, these are the basics, and I'm totally grateful. For now, traffic at the ports is flowing. There's plenty of work, and contract negotiations are ongoing with still much to hammer out. Andrea Shu, NPR News, San Pedro, California. All righty. Now, I could have left that one out, but I mean, wow, that is a big one. And I mean, that is one everybody should be thinking about, particularly if you have younger children. I would be trying to think very forward about, hmm, now what sort of job or in your career technological advancements over the next 30 years Make sure I am not recommending or encouraging my child to pick something that's going to be obsolete soon. Had to include that one because all of this talk about labor shortages, even in the classroom, because I am not going to, I think it's just going to be a matter of time before they have some sort of robotic system, whether it's virtual or whatever, that can do the teaching online and to where that is a widespread thing, even here in the U.S., especially as you have more and more non-white students. But regardless, that is something folks should be thinking about because even at the U.S. Open, yes, they shed lots of tears and Serena Williams, victim of white supremacy for her whole career, 25 years plus of nigra, monkey, man. That said, at the U.S. Open, permanently, they do not have human judges anymore. Permanently. All of those jobs are gone. Permanently. All automated. More at same thing that they said there. More accurate, more efficient. They even said it removes clutter from the screen because you have fewer people that are not in the match. Now you just basically have the players that are on the court, but it is all automated. So even being a judge at the U.S. Open, not safe from automation, that's going to be more of that as we continue. That will have a huge impact on non-white people, but also a lot of white people. I think everybody in that segment may have been white because there's such a long history of white supremacy, racism, and unions. We even read about that in Invisible Man uh, and white union. My union brothers and sisters, you know there's not a whole lot of niggers there if they're using that sort of language. 
Anyway, but keeping black people out of those sort of jobs, I am sure if they had a picture of longshoresmen in Southern California, I'm pretty in an area that does have a lot of black people, right? I'm sure that they do not have a lot of Negras who are members of the union there. So it's a lot of white people worried about, and that is going to happen. That is just a matter of time. But that is also something to be thinking about. And again, something in that segment, training. So if we're not going to be, and personally, I wouldn't want to do any of that back-breaking, literally, work, shorten your life, and then you have all kinds of injuries and all the rest of them, probably deaths. All of that can be eliminated. You can be retrained to just go in and do the programming or the maintenance or whatever. Automation technician, great. You do the troubleshooting, great. Probably more money in that. That's something that you can do much longer than all of that hard, back-breaking labor, loading and unloading and all the rest. I would much rather get my little clipboard, cup of coffee. You don't even have a clipboard. That's being anachronistic. You just get your little tablet or they give you an iPhone or whatever they want you to use. You can go through, okay, boom, 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 make sure this is, oh, got a problem here. Go check that. You can do that until you're, you know, probably in your 80s, you know, as long as you're feeling good, got your eyesight and all the rest of it, got your mental faculties, which we may need you to do because we got labor shortages, hmm. maybe even to your 90s. Uh, but, I mean, that is, all of that is lots to consider with the workplace. The robots, they are a coming if they are not already here. Uh, anything else I'll get to before? Oh, one thing. We have emails I get to. The email is untiljustice at gmail.com. Untiljustice at gmail.com. If you listen to the archives, again, see if we can have at least 10 emails for the broadcast for next Friday. Untiljustice at gmail.com. It does not have to be a thesis. Five sentences. That's even if you're on a phone, you can do five sentences about your work environment and or your code for your work environment. One person shared, this was not on the air, we had talked about Zoom last week. I think we had folks who wrote in about racist shenanigans via Zoom, where they'll uh, change a meeting time on Zoom, and you'll not know about it, or they will schedule something at a time where you already have a meeting going on, and they already know this. This is not a, oh, whoops, I didn't, this is, oh, that nigger is going to be in the meeting from 12 to 2. <laughs> we'll make the meeting at 1230. <laughs> and then if you miss it, it'll, oh, see, she's not even paying attention, that sort of thing. So I was talking to investor off the air, and they said, man, workplace, not, and I said, same thing that I always say, man, you can set your watch five minutes. I don't bring it up. I don't try to solicit. So, hey, what's happening in the workplace? Hey, 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 what's happening? Never that. Like, I'm trying to angle and get material to talk about for the program. Voluntarily, every time when I talk to non-white people off the air, the job comes up and their mistreatment in that environment comes up within about five minutes. You can count it down. Here we go. Four minutes and 55, four minutes and 56. Oh, there it is. Within that five minutes, investor, she said, man, 
Okay, I'm racist. Got the Zoom schedule. I said, oh, here we go. Here we go. So they got the Zoom schedule. Said, now, I had a meeting scheduled from 2 to 4 in the calendar. Everybody knows. No problem. All right. I'm going to be at the meeting. This heifer comes in and slips the Zoom time in there for 2.30. He said, now, you know, hey, I'm all set, got my meeting, everybody knows, and be occupied, 2 to 4, boom, boom. If I hadn't looked, I'm like, well, 2.30, what, where did this come from? I can't even, to drop her an email, be like, hey, uh, uh, excuse me, R- Rhonda, uh, I, got, I got a meeting already, 2 to 4, remember? You'd already, it was, it's already been on the calendar and everything. I can't do this, 2.30. Oh, my God, that's right, that's right, that's, my, I'll, I'll go ahead and delete that. Now, the suspicion arose. There was no, oh, we'll reschedule. Let's do this. Uh, how about tomorrow morning, 9 a.m.? We'll knock it out first thing in the morning. won't even take a long time. We'll do it tomorrow morning. That didn't happen. There was zero follow. The 2.30 was just deleted and, oh, never mind. What were we going to discuss at the 2.30? Why was it even created? You had to, <laughs> there had to be something to chat about. No? That sort of thing. <laughs> like just racist shenanigans to put something there. You don't catch it. To go, oh, my gosh, you burned up the meeting and didn't pay attention to the Zoom, and I put it right on the calendar. I already had the meeting scheduled. I just nonsense. These sorts of racist acts happen all the time where they know we even had Bay Area scholar he shared the one he said they had his class schedule he's trying to get that 4.0 see if I can be valedictorian gave him my class schedule so they already know these are the hours where I'm going to be occupied during the weekday you know other times you can let me know maybe I can work something out pick up a shift they already know Wednesday I'm in class 12 to 5 they call him hey do you think you can come in 1 o'clock on Wednesday? <laughs> Why do you have the schedule if you're just going to call me and check for a time when I'm occupied, which is already noted on the schedule you have? That sort of thing. Just wasting my time with nonsense and practicing racism. This sort of thing is widespread in the workplace. I think it's very helpful to be uh, aware of that, and especially with Zoom. One, just to be mindful so that you're not kind of aimless about the calendar or what have you that's shared. Even when you have already posted, right, your supervisor knows it's there, you talked about it, whatever, because the racism can come where they slip something in. We've even had people where they will come and change the time, for some of these events. Everybody thought the meeting is at 12, or the meeting is at 12, but somehow the time will get shifted around on the calendar or what have you uh, to nine or something like that. This sort of thing is common. Just be very mindful, and then I would address it. Hey, we're having some sort of confusion 
with the scheduling or with how the calendar is going. Let's make sure that this doesn't happen. What can we do to make sure that there's no confusion, nothing is getting shifted around. If everybody thinks the meeting is going to be t at 12 o'clock, let's make sure that it doesn't get shifted around to 9, 9.30, last minute, that sort of thing, so that everybody can be on one accord. We can efficiently move through our schedule for the day. That sort of request. But that's really, really common, really, really tacky, but very common racists messing over non-white people with the schedule. All righty. Number again, 720-716-7300, the code 564-943-POUND. Press star 61 if you would like to participate. Uh, let's see. Folks who dialed in with a hand up, uh, line should be open. Proceed. Can I be heard? Hey, Gus. Oh, no, go ahead. Okay, thank you. Hi. Uh, thank you. Um, greetings to everyone on the line. So, I, um, I think the first clip, or one of the first clips you did was uh, a college athlete. Um, they, I guess they're um, considering giving some of the college athletes uh, so I guess the basketball and the maybe the ballers, the brown ball players, um, money uh, for playing. I don't know. I don't know how much, but uh, they have been talking about that for a while, paying the uh, kids because they get so much money from um, you know playing. Uh, people come out; they make a lot of money with those kids. I don't know about those other sports, but it seems like they get uh, they get um, rewarded just by default because they have to give share the money that the, the team to uh, basketball. I'm saying basketball, football, because that's what it seems like would be more popular to come out and and see. That's where the money would come in. And then they even stated that even regardless of what school, the majority of the players. I play those sound ball games are black. So, um, okay, then there was one, um, what was it, uh, the radio guy, the WNYC, I think. He um, went just talking to all the different teachers and stuff uh, <laughs> in the last caller with uh, the, the shortage where they had uh, to snatch up the, uh, the custodian to sub. And, hey, get over here. So I just thought that was, Wow, I could see them um, doing something different with the teaching, letting it fall apart like this to where, of course, they have to come and help, help. So then they come in and fix it, and then how they fix it is with uh, some kind of technical uh, teachers. That would be interesting. Um, poor teachers. Um, so I, I work with a teacher. Um, <laughs> I've been there since January. Same teacher. I just spend more time with this teacher. I, I spend five days a week instead of the three for a couple of hours. Um, the Caucasian male teacher doesn't have a problem with me. I mean, not a a problem that he vocalizes. But that Arabian or uh, Syrian 
Yemen. Yeah, that the lady from Yemen. It takes. I, I'm a little different for her taste. So uh, she deals with the children differently than I do. Um, they're not my children. Uh, I'm only there to assist one, and I'm not even his one-on-one. So just because I'm used to the class and, you know, I, I, just, do, I just float. I do my thing in the class. Um, so it's 12, 13 now. Uh, <laughs> it, it's, it, it's hard. Uh, so the one that I'm there for, the reason why I'm there, the one that I'm actually, the reason why I spend so much time is to help this one little boy, the one who I talked to his mom last week. So his birthday was Tuesday. He, um, his dad came up to the school, brought him a balloon and a, something in a bag. So I went to my lunch during that time, so I didn't look or anything. He walked to the office. I just kept going. Um, I figured it was his dad, though. Um, So that's how his dad has to see him. Um, It's frustrating because the child's been six hours or so in class, and when when the parents have this kind of uh, animosity affects the child and the learning, and then you want miracles in the classroom. So um, he's got the dad. They took one of his days away. It's the mom for whatever the, the issue is. Um, it affects the little boy. Um, there's so much tension in the broken home. It, it he comes to school affected. I think he may have a five year old brother, so that might be the, or yeah, maybe it's a brother, and that might make him revert backward as far as trying to get attention because there's a, a new baby, you know, it was new to him because I think uh, this one is maybe 11 or so. Uh, <laughs> and then with a the different change because now fourth graders that, we got a new set of fourth graders um, and now he's a fifth grader, he's not fourth grader, so he's a fifth grader so there's new kids in class and they do new things. Um, and that that throws them off. Um, it, it it's hard. Uh, to, so I guess you really have to like he's so baby. You have to like his jacket. So mind you, how we're dealing with the weather is uh, they can play. It is a hundred degrees outside. They can play um, outside for a.m. recess probably around ten o'clock. They make it 10, 15 minutes recess. But lunch recess, lunch we eat inside or a shaded area and then we can play inside the classroom or whatever. Um, too hot to be outside. Today was their first day of the hot days that they were able to uh, choose if they want to be outside or inside. Um, he had a jacket in his backpack, a knitted jacket. And um, he left. He had it on the table, so I, I gave it to him. Uh, he's, he, you have to put it in his backpack and zip it up, and that's that, that, got all your stuff. You have to do that with him because that's how mom is doing him. So he left his jacket on the bus. So open house was last night. So I get a text message asking me about his jacket. Did I give him his jacket? I said I gave him his jacket and his trash. I gave him everything. 
we left the jacket on the bus. My mom, instead of coming to after school or back to school night, she storms in to interrupt back to school night to look for the jacket and then got whatever this paper was that the teacher gave her and took it and left. And then the next day sent an email uh, stating that, uh, fussing about whatever the teacher's not doing, especially with these psychologists and attorneys and all this stuff that just got going on. Uh, and I understand you're fighting for advocating for the kids and what uh, amenities they may or may not need, but there's stuff that parents need to do at home as well um, to balance it out. There's there's no – and even how the classroom is set up, I, I, it's, I, I'm going to have to take him out to do, to do stuff with him. So um, uh, mom – makes gives him anxiety, I think, because she's so extra. Because to come all the way up to the school for a jack, it was 100 degrees, and you came all the way up to the school at nighttime or after, after school night, like 7 or something, you came all the way up there only for the jacket. And it's on the school bus, so you didn't get it till the next day. It was crazy. And so I would go to the library. I had my kid, you know, these kids, and the little, it's a little Asian one. Uh, he's really attached to me. Uh, so he spends a lot of time with me. So um, <laughs> the white, it's a white librarian lady. She's giving me this gas face like I'm coming in to rob the library. So I get this look and I feel so, just kind of way. Give me this gas face, white lady. She doesn't even know how to work the cash register because now since she's looking at me, can you read this book up, lady? And so she's, and then she's really watching the black kids. So this little black boy, I didn't think about that. So I had this little black boy. He's telling me the books he wanted. So I took pictures of the books he wanted. I bought the books he wanted. And um, he didn't know I bought the books because I could because I gave them to his grandma. But I'm getting the books. So well, nobody's going to steal any of these books, lady. But she's giving me this look. So when I ask her to ring it up, she doesn't know how to work the register. So stop looking. So I go in there today because I went to get something out of the library. So she's gas facing me and looking at me. I was like, I'm not, ma'am. I take my mask off. I'm sorry. I said, ma'am, I'm not, I'm not you. I'm asking them. I'm not you. It's okay. Oh, <laughs> now it's okay. But she was looking at me like I was walking in her house. So, and then one more. Um, mind you, I'm sundown town, so this guy comes in the door. The doors are locked, been locked since that shooting thing with the Spanish male shot up the kids. So I got, I, I'm right behind him, six feet. I gave him the space and anything, so he's getting his keys. He's going to open the door, so I'm right behind him. But he's going to the door. He told me, oh, no, you have to call the number on the window if you want to get in. So I was like, okay, you already said something earlier. Like, did you be quiet? Hmm. Well, you know, that's okay. I'll just wait for you to go in and close the door, and I'll just use this key that I have around my neck and go in the door. He's like, no, you could just go in the office. No. So <laughs> I went in, and then I kind of, yeah, and he looked around to see us. He came to get save us from the ant. But anyway, uh, yeah, let's see how they treat me. Thank you for taking my call. I'll meet my life. That's so funny. Uh, you said the Hispanic person went to shoot up the children. Are you talking about uh, Uvalde? Just so that I'm not confused, the one in Texas. 
Of course, yes, and yes, that's what I'm talking about. With the little Spanish, uh, the brown children that they were, that the, the gentleman um, was shooting, yeah, I don't Spanish, but yes, that's exactly what I'm talking about. Gotcha. Salvador Ramos. That was, we had a query about that with uh, listeners about if folks think he would be classified as white or not. Got it. Uh, much obliged, uh, Bay Area mom. Uh, reading more important than watching television. Dr. Welsing said that one all the time. And when you play around with sex, the joke is on the offspring. Oh, that is so terrible. Like, I just said that, like, hey, now we may start out listening to Patti LaBelle and all Somebody Loves You and all the rest of you, Aaliyah, one in a million, right? We start out with all that. And, oh, man, you coon and I'm ready to kill you and all the rest of it. And Okay, so that's likely to happen. We still have to make sure our child's academic plan, spectacular. Nutrition program, spectacular. And even if I should now think that you are a coon, that cannot become some toxin for our children, which frequently that ends up happening. That is, oh, what a disgrace. But that's what happens. Play around with sex. The joke is on the offspring. I'm so surprised. Dr. Welsing, third generation general and child psychiatrist. I'm pretty sure she worked with a number of black boys and girls. The product of playing around with sex now I can't even get my education together. Flunking school, not paying attention, come to school mad. And, What's wrong with you, Gus? You all right? <laughs> oh, he's got to go to remedial. Oh, we, see there? See, we got this little raping, got the raping tendencies, and he's angry. See? And then school to prison pipeline and all of that when a huge component. It's obviously racism, white supremacy is all of it, even the fact that mom and dad don't get along. That's white people to blame, too. However, that doesn't make the situation any better for those black children. So the playing around with sex, like, come on, it has a huge impact on our children and has for generations. That's one thing we can do that we're serious about, counter-racism. Uh, the librarian component, I'm not surprised about that either. That is so – I mean, hey – for years, they didn't even allow black people to read, much less go to the library. She said, look, what? what? Reading Negro. What are you doing? We used to chop your hands off for reading a book or kill you. What are you even doing here? That's, you know, white culture. We don't allow Negroes to read. Even now, we got fancy with it. Put you in remedial reading. What I just said. Oh, he's got raping tendencies. You got to get out of here. In here, getting books. Still, and niggers don't even read. What are you even doing here? Comes in again. She's back. What are you doing here? I got. I work here. I'm not stealing. Oh, it's over. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. 
Note the income. She can't even work the cash register. Now, that's embarrassing. <laughs> like, I'm pretty, I'm pretty sure this was not some 19-year-old and first day on the job or what have you. You've been here for some time, and you can't even get the cash register to work correctly. You need the manual to go up and ring the books up. And you're sitting here looking at me like I'm illiterate. I'm here just to loot the library. And now if that's same thing, now if that's how she's treating a fellow educator here at the school, I'm trying to help edu- uh, encourage students here to read. I should get a gold star and a high five. No? No? Negro? Okay, right. If that's how she's treating the library and if that's how she's treating the staff, Mm. The uh, oh, we got the the uh, those sort of incidents when you get to the school and I you don't work you know you call call a number <laughs> like what I got a key and my badge suspicious looking there I keep an eye on you I <laughs> that all of that we had folks talked about that before that I just I just mentioned. Cynthia McKinney, where she went in, and she's Congresswoman six times. Cynthia McKinney. Hey, whoa, whoa, whoa! Who are you? Where'd you come from? Where are your papers at? You know Bin Laden? What are you doing here? I'm a six-time. Didn't ask you for any lip. Where are your papers at? Big. I think this was like 2010 when this happened. Big to do. And this is I've seen where this happened with black judges and. Lots of folks. All of that, I would just say the code, if they, whatever the code, she already had a key, so I mean, I don't even have any conversation. Mm-hmm, right, mm-hmm, thank you, mm-hmm. <laughs> going to do and just see, mm-hmm, of course, I already know he's going to be watching me the whole time. I go, what? where's she going? What, what, she doing? The librarian told me about you, <laughs> which she probably did. <laughs> I got to keep, got to keep an eye on you, see what you're up to. Hmm. Pitiful all the way, but that's to be expected. That's why I say that sort of situation, composure. She didn't dial in and tell us, Bay Area Mom, that she cursed him out. Who do you think you're talking to? Who do you, do you know who I am? You don't talk to me. That's not my recommendation. My suggestion is you get to work 10 minutes in advance and you already think that's going to happen. You are a nigger. Everybody you work with, they think you are a nigger. You're not respected, like, no, I'm not opening the door for you. I don't care if I've seen you here for the last 30 years. You're a Negro. Suspect you're coming in here to steal all our chalk. That's what I expect. So I'm not mad. I'm not going to curse you out. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Already got my key, right? And just go about my business. That's what I expect. Got it. Mm-hmm. Black educators matter, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Much obliged, Bay Area mom. I don't say sun downtown. I say racially restricted region. Make it more clear it is terrorism that we are dealing with. Uh, let's see. I think that was our caller. I'm not sure. Victim in New Jersey or our caller at 2262 yeah. who yielded. Victim oh, there we go. Yes, sir. Yes. Yeah. Um, hey, Gus. Um, so um, um, two of the segments and uh, two of the things that she was talking about, especially the uh, – just giving basically, you know, janitors and, you know, people, honorary uh, 
teacher badges. Um, you know, last week I uh, told about how, you know, I was a victim of the uh, experiment called special education, and it is very damaging uh, to black people. I would say mainly black boys. I know a lot of black boys get shoved into special education. So um, I really, I, I, I really, um, uh, I'm really concerned. I don't have children, but I'm very concerned uh, about black children. Um, if that's what, if this is what the education system is doing um, to. Um, you know, to basically um, get teachers in the classroom or they just want somebody just to be, you know, you know, just, you know, sit here and just basically, you know, just look over the children while they do nothing. And, um, you know, so that's that's very alarming. Um, you spoke also about the fire department um, and that uh, racist party. If I'm not mistaken, that was that uh, fire uh Black firefighter attended. I also have a friend that's in the fire department, and the stories he told me um, were parallel. Um, you know, I won't give the department or you know, but uh, he's uh, he was one of the first black firefighters in that town, um, and this had to be in the '90s, maybe the 2000s, or the, maybe the late. I won't say the 2000s, maybe the 2000s, he, late 90s, 2000s, he um, got this job. So he uh, told me examples of, you know, going into different establishments with, um, you know, stores where, you know, these um, store owners or, you know, had private little clubs and uh, he entered with his other white coworkers and he had um, racist um racist pictures hanging, and he also told, gave me examples of um, while on duty um, in the midst of saving somebody's house being called the, you know, called the nigger. So, you know, that's that's um, that's something um, he's experienced. And, and the fact that, you know, um, he was even like the first, a group of the first black firefighters in this particular town, that's um borders uh Newark, New Jersey. Um um the shore, I mean the um the docks, uh, the longshoremen um in my area of the world, uh Newark, New Jersey, this is a very, very, very life changing job. Um a lot of people try to get into the docks. Um black male, uh Mayor Ras Baraka uh, some years ago, did a protest to um, force the docks to hire more Newark residents. Um, Newark has a high percentage of um, black people, um, to the point where years ago um, they had to have two unions, one for the blacks and one for um, the white Italians. A lot of white Italians um, occupy uh these jobs on uh, the North Port Authority. So um, people that I know that work there, again, I mean, they, they own houses. Um, they're able to also have another job, you know, because they do very long hours, so they can just basically work 
two to three days straight and also have a second job. So that job is definitely life-changing. So automation would definitely have a negative effect on black people. Um, To give you an update and also to basically say that um, the cows and what we suggest, Gus and the callers, um, is definitely helpful. So I called about um, the coworker who suggested we steal um, some extra items that was left on the truck, and um, I basically let him know my code. I don't, you know, I don't steal. Just this week, two uh, employees, two black males, matter of fact, three were fired for stealing. Um, that particular black male that I told him, you know, I, I told him my code. You know, I, I really didn't go into a long dialogue. I wasn't, you know, I wasn't preachy, but I said that right there is why I have a code of not stealing. So if, if I can just read you the memo that I received um, this morning, it says, Reminder to all drivers and helpers, there is a strict zero tolerance, uh, zero tolerance policy for theft of any kind, time theft, product theft, customer theft, equipment theft, etc. We have eyes and ears everywhere and have received countless reports over time of obvious, observed suspicious behavior. We expect our employees to report immediately if they are aware of any suspected theft. We have a strict zero-retaliation zero policy, and anyone who does report any information will be protected to the fullest extent. We will never expose their identity or share details related to them. We always react and investigate accordingly. We are monitoring the accuracy of all loads and have cameras all around. Due to increased theft, we are employing undercover investigative work to look further into orders or routes in question with missing short products. I mean, I mean the timing on this. You know, I just gave a report last week and this week uh, three uh, people were fired. And the information that I gathered um, this particular person just basically was just reckless. Uh, they have tracking on the truck. Um, this person was bold enough to even have, take 27 trips to his home to unload product and to basically write it up as missing on the truck. And they also have cameras and microphones in the truck for insurance purposes. So the other gentleman that was fired was simply fired because they had a conversation in a truck, and he basically confessed and said, "You know, this is what I do. You know, I, you know, I, I you know, I, I, you know, I get a lot of uh, product from this particular company." So the other guy was just fired for just basically listening to the driver talk, and I'm, I'm assuming not snitching, you know. So they, they definitely don't have a code of uh, no snitching. So, um, again, um, I told uh, my helper, and I'm going to emphasize this Monday, again, you know what I'm saying, do not touch anything on the truck. 
nothing. I don't care if a strawberry falls out of a box, one, and you pick it up, wash it up, and eat it, put it back. And he also says, um, well, that's a difference. Um, that's, uh, that's, um, that, that was stealing. I'm like, no, 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 no. no. What, you would have su- what you suggested last week was stealing as well. So I'm really reconsidering even having this particular um, person with me. I might just ask for another helper because I don't really have time to explain this, and I'm not really trying to, you know, lose my job, you know, because somebody is just basically not following instructions. Because at the end of the day, he's a helper, and I'm responsible for the route. And I would I would not want to be forced to have to um, – you know, tell on him, so to speak. So what I would rather just do, I would just basically, I'm going to see how it works out Monday, but by Tuesday, I'll probably have another helper. I'll close. Wow. Victim in New Jersey said, I am a proud product of the white supremacy school system. Mm Mm-hmm. Indeed, lots of those. Um, man, he said the the firefighter report, which I did not play, corroborated where he has his own non-white people who told him the same type of thing. Said he uh, was called a nigra while they were out to save a house. Like, what in the world? What? <laughs> All right. Look at here. There's a baby up on the third floor. Nigra, move the ladder. Did he? We got. He called me. <laughs> Nigra, ladder. Child on the. <laughs> whoa, whoa, whoa. I can't even. <laughs> like, whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> I need five minutes. I need five minutes. Like, wow. I don't even know what to do here. Like, creator, what? <laughs> what? What? <laughs> he just called me a nigger in the middle of the fire. <laughs> I don't even know what the code is on that one. Like, time out. Time out. Like, wait a minute. <laughs> Get it together. Like, nigger, we in the... He called... Hmm. Hmm. <laughs> Urgently. This problem has got to be solved. Urgently. Now, uh, I would not be surprised, and really, if you, serious, counter-racist scientist, not one syllable of what they typed out in that email is a surprise, and it does not impact your code or conduct at all. Why? I have been functioning since the day I took this job as though you have cameras everywhere, that you are tracking everything. You will assume I am a looting, stealing negra. So I have been behaving. I'm talking as though, yes, you are are always listening 
I'm not talking reckless. Man, I hate a cracker. Boy, you know I don't like these old crackers. Crackers on the job. And a... No. I'm not talking about really nothing. Work-related. Where are the deliveries? Where are we going? Okay, got this deliver. Okay. Doom, doom, doom. That's it. That's good to know. That just corroborates what I already knew. But I mean, hey, I was already behaving in this manner. Three people, he said, black males. Black male privilege. Fired, even for talking about whatever. Again, it is almost 2025. Amazon, some of these other uh, delivery companies, exactly what he said. They've been talking about that for years. This is not something new. We got cameras, microphones in the cabs. We got too many Negras out here driving. We don't trust you Negras. You're out here raping white women and stealing products and all the rest of it, sleeping in the car. So no way. Got to have cameras in the car. Make sure you're doing it. And productivity. Make sure. Chop, chop. Get to it. Got to keep an eye on you. That be, why am I going to be talking about it? Why am I stealing, period? That's number one. And then why am I going to be talking about it? I said last week with the stakes proposition, I'm going to behave like they got GPS cameras, all of that. Lo and behold, they got GPS cameras and all of that. <laughs> they tracked him to his residence. Now, again, shouldn't be doing any of this, whatever. But I mean, hey, it's almost 2025. You should already know all of this. Even at McDonald's, <laughs> they got cameras, micro, all of this. Hardee's, Jack in the Box, White Castle, all of this. Again, now, this is the sort of thing now. Think about who is more informed about racism, white supremacy. He said they took the truck to his house. I lost count of how many times. I'm like, what? What? Even that? You don't think somebody's going to notice? This nigga is here. Hmm. We've had too many stories of black people who were engaged in zero criminal behavior. They were doing their job, taking the delivery to exactly where it was supposed to go, and they were terrorized and accused of some sort of malfeasance, looting. You're going to go to your house? That means like, we, your neighbors, will be the ones calling the number on the back of your cabin to rat you out. Come on, man. Pit worthy of great pity. I would have to have a code about that, too. Like, man, anybody, they even sound like they're getting to. Look here, Brother Gus. What I do, and they put the load on the truck, right, and they got the stakes. What I do, I take a, whoa, 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 stop. I do not want to hear anything else you have to say. Stop. Stop. Do not say anything else. Like, I don't want to hear it. Stop talking immediately. That would be the total end of the conversation. 
what he said. And, Ooh, we got to get a new draft or a new assistant, whatever vernacular they use. But, whoa, I'm not going to be in position for any of that where I have to come and testify or I have jeopardized my job because now I got to come and snitch. Oh, Roscoe down the hall is, you know, going to come and he said he got a scheme and he said, I'm not doing any of that. Stop. Maybe I can explain it to them later. They have cam- uh, cameras in the car. And blah, blah. Maybe not, but stop. Do not say another word. And that's standard, probably, for a lot of businesses, at least with black people, it will be that if an employee has been talking about some sort of criminal behavior and you don't say anything, oh, yeah, you are an accomplice. You were helping them do it, aiding and abetting after the fact, whatever. Oh, yeah, you got to go, too. Yep, yep, yep. We, zero tolerance. Probably, oh, yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yep, yep, yep. Make an example out of you, as they say. No stealing on the day. And, in fact, the situation that he gave us, we said, the driver said, hey, we got extra set of crate, uh, steaks back here. Take that home to your lady. I bet she would really like that. He said they got undercover agents who are in vet. That might have been a part of the undercover ruse. Like, see if this nigger is one of them. Mm, yeah. Why don't you take these steaks and we'll see what happens. Mm. <laughs> like, man. We've had so many folks who've talked about uh, experiments and what have you, and racists do that. Mr. Fuller has talked about it all the way back to the plantation. <laughs> we'll leave a jug of molasses out. See now, old Abraham. Let's see if he, oh, he stole the jug of molasses. Oh, yep, yep, yep. Get him for that. Oh, yeah, set him up to steal the jug of molasses. And now we, that's 50 lashes. Can't have you stealing molasses on the planet. And maybe they don't even bring it up for six months. And they do that on the job sometimes, too. We know you stole that crate of ham. We might not bring it up till the end of the year. Got you on footage, July 31st. That's you right there. We got the GPS and everything. You stole that crate of ham. You're out of here. We might be doing prosecution, too might be doing, even with some of the cases that he told us about, they might be doing prosecution. You do how many ever trips to your residence, unloading crates and all the rest of it? Yes, you might get fired and prosecuted. Who is more informed about racism, white supremacy? No, not a strawberry. That's the code. Not a strawberry. Not a pencil. Not a paper clip. Nothing. See how explicit they were? They didn't have any metaphor. Not one metaphor. See the difference? That right there. When they put that metaphor, uh, that, that fight, they said, when they said, oh, we got eyes and ears everywhere, that's exactly what they mean. We got cameras, microphones. We are always listening. And they broke it down. Time theft, product theft, whatever. They're like, dang. No confusion. We're not putting any metaphors down. Make it clear what's going to happen. Zero tolerance, buddy. Looting niggers out here stealing our product, gas, time, whatever it is. Context of white supremacy, neutralizing workplace racism. Uh, let's see, make sure I get in folks who 
wrote in untiljustice at gmail.com. See if we can get 10 emails for next week. All right, so last week, we got an update here. Last week, uh, Vegan RD, she wrote in. She talked about she had a, or I guess this, this means two weeks, but basically she had a non-white coworker who wanted a title, maybe even was told she was going to get this title. White soup decides you will get the title, no pay increase. She says, okay, she goes to tell the non-white female, I got the title. Non-white female gets upset, goes and uh, the white woman announces, yes, Vegan RD got the title. The non-white colleague gets very upset, super upset about this, says she's going to quit her job, and, you know, this is a total outrage. Uh, Vegan RD advises her, you know, hey, I don't think you should quit. You've been working a number of years, and you got pension, retirement, all that good stuff you don't want to lose. Hang on, I think she's very close to retirement, so it's like, like five years or so. So it's like, hey, that would not be the best decision. I think you should hang in there. Forgive the metaphor. I, I don't think you should resign. So then I'm white female thinks about it she comes back and then apologizes to vegan rd says she's going to stay on the job although she is going to contest this with the union and she's you know she's going to fight this all okay no pay increase i can't emphasize that enough so we talked about all this last week i asked vegan rd if she would do this the same way again would she still talk to her and all the rest of it i asked that question I redialed in, and she said, I'm paraphrasing, always dangerous, but I'm paraphrasing. I have gone back and re-listened. Uh, she said basically that she understood why Vegan RD did this and that in her own experience, she tries to function as though she has an alliance with the other black people in her workplace. I said then, I don't know what that means. Uh, you'd probably have to explain what you mean by alliance. And then I posed question to Vegan RD, so did you have an alliance with this non-white female when you went to give her the suggestion about not quitting, that maybe that's not the best thing to do? So she gave us an update, answered all of our questions. We actually had three. So Vegan RD writes, would I have spoken to her prior to the white female if she had to do over again? Yes. Here's why. History between myself and the non-white female I didn't mention that the non-white female, also classified as black and Hispanic, worked with me when I worked as an R a residential ooh, RD. I'm not sure what that one is. Uh, I've known her for over 10 years. She was a residential nurse on the unit and one of the outpatient clinics I worked at. We were not close. However, this is the first time we were working together as direct coworkers. She trained me in my position and did a great job. I do know her, so that is why I thought it would be to her best to tell her. Number two, preventing dishonesty. I also didn't want to be asked by the non-white female if the supervisor, white female, informed me of this title change. I prefer not to lie, part of my code. Trying my best to be honest and not be deceptive, but I understand the system of white supremacy doesn't allow non-white people to be honest and honesty is constructive but in some context may not lead to a constructive result that is for sure and because of racists white people number three another another reason was her retirement 
This non-white female works overtime at the main hospital all the time. She does this just to increase the amount of money she will make during retirement. Her health is worsening due to her work schedule. Recently diagnosed with high blood pressure, feet issues, and overall body pains. It would have been terrible for her to lose this retirement. Plus, she is a single female. Very logical. I asked the, the questions to the cow's participants to see how I could tell her to minimize conflict between us. That right there, gold standard, as they say, in my view, that is such a crucial component of maintaining the system of white supremacy racism to keep non-white people in conflict with each other. That is a huge gold standard of counter-racism, minimizing conflict with other non-white people. Minimizing conflict with other victims of white supremacy racism. Not escalating it, minimizing the conflict as best I can. Minimizing deception, that can be helpful as well, so we don't have confusion. We know why these things are happening and whom is to blame somebody white, generally, all the time. Next, she says, do I have an alliance with her? No, I believe she's a pretty confused victim. I am as well, Gusty, too. There's no way we can protect each other. I just try to tell her ways to be more codified because I know that I would benefit her, that it would benefit her. If I was aligned with her, then I would trust her enough to discuss Neely Fuller Jr.'s work. The only non-white person I feel most aligned with are those who follow the code and my own and my non-white attempted husband. Unfortunately, the system of white supremacy makes it difficult for non-white people to form an alliance. Absolutely. I really am not fighting for this title. It was given to me, so I really don't care about it. I don't think I would have cared even if they gave me some additional pennies for it. By the way, the non-white female will be fighting for this position and plans to speak with the union and the director, non-white black female, of this service. She is definitely not aligned with me. To be expected. I can't emphasize that last sentence enough. So short, three words, but man, that will save you so much strife just having correct expectations, really in general, in my view, in life, especially in the system of white supremacy. Having correct expectations, critically important. That's what scientists do. You want to know exactly what the the exact correct specifications of the environment, and then we can proceed solving problems quickly, efficiently. To be expected, if you go in that workplace, non-white, I don't care if they're all black, every single one of them, all born in the United States, their parents, all born in the United States, their grandparents, all born in Louisiana, their great-grandparents, all born in South Carolina, even if that is the case, there should be zero 
expectation that these folks are with you, going to help you, anything of the sort. You could expect the exact same type of conduct. System of racism, white supremacy, that is what domination looks like. She continues, uh, I think I would do it the same way because at the end it was a constructive result. Absolutely. Moving forward to new information. White female doctor came to the residential nurse station a few weeks ago and brought up that she works as an ethics professor at the medical school. She mentioned that she wished that she went to school for medical policies. She complained about the inequalities and how it makes health care so hard and expensive. The white female explained she teaches this to her students. She mentioned how Republican, in quotes, states make it harder for low-income and minorities, which to me means black people, me too, groups have harder access to health care. She states that there should be a universal health care system. I asked, are you saying racism is a big problem in health care? She agreed. I asked her, how can this problem be solved? I was excited to hear her answer. She said she didn't know. This answer was expected. Absolutely. Then she asked me if I knew. I said, if I knew, I would not be working here. The conversation ended there. Last week, the white female nurse practitioner said to a white female doctor that one, that's the ethics professor, that she wanted to kill a social worker non-white Hispanic female. What in the world? This is due to the social worker asking, this is due to the social working asking her to help a Hispanic male with medical services. The white female doctor reported this to me. I thought, why not tell the white female supervisor? I'm a victim. There's not anything that I can do. I listen and basically said that the nurse practitioner is studying to be a psych nurse practitioner. This ended the conversation. Hope you all have a good week. We'll be off most, most of this week due to back to school for New York City students, which we just heard about. Some of them don't even have teachers. They're using the doorman. I'm happy to have some time away from the plantation. Thank you all again for your help. Best Vegan R.D. Much obliged for all of the updates. Always appreciate uh, updates in the workplace, and again, kudos for minimizing conflict in the workplace. And I think also that's counter-racism science. I think when these sort of things happen and you are not flustered and mad, and I thought she was my homie, and we've been working together all this time, and that's what's wrong with us black people. We don't stick together. And my, none of that is logical. That's not counter-racism science. Except that three simple words. To be expected. I'm not mad. This is why I read Neely Fuller Jr. This is why I study. We United Independent. I'm just telling you this information. I think it would be best if you didn't storm out of here and quit. You got benefits and all the rest of it. But hey, United Independent, you do what you do. Oh, you going to the union fight over this? You do what you do. To be expected there too. But you do what you do. Right on. 
That, I think, is the scientific way to go as opposed to huffing, puffing, being mad. That's what's wrong with these niggers, and I just say that about you coons, and oh my God, that's why we can't stick together. Not having correct expectations in the system of white supremacy racism. United, independent, you go on these jobs, you are an army of one. You give out suggestions or what have you, that's not your homie, not your teammate. At least that's the perspective that I give using logic that we are in a system of white supremacy racism. Much obliged, Vegan RD. Email is untiljustice at gmail.com and the number 720-716-7300. The code 564-943-POUND. Press star 61 if you would like to participate. Other folks who are with us, if you have commentary to share, proceed. Man, you hurt. Uh, greetings, 2262. Yes, sir. Greetings, Gus. And thank you for taking my call. And greetings to everyone on the line, the listeners and the callers. Um, I wanted to first start off by saying I completely um, understand what caller from New Jersey uh, was referring to when it came to the education system <clears throat> and how it has um, uh, really just failed. Uh, I'll take myself for an example. Um, I couldn't read until I was in the eighth grade. And what I will say, what helped me the most was um, going to those, I guess, remedial courses, but in those, in that course, it was a black male teacher, and um, what he did for me, he just had a list of words, and he would just point to the word and encourage me to use the phonics, and if I didn't get it, he didn't scold or, or call me a name. He just said, well, we'll go to the next one, come back that later, so... Uh, Black male you know, teachers are extremely important. <clears throat> Moving on to uh, the weather, um, to add to the report from earlier, uh, the heat today in Los Angeles, um, well, I will say we're dealing with a couple different things. There is a, um, I guess, Storm K that's off the shores of uh, our coast. Not to mention we're dealing with a lot of fires and um out here as well. So it's a mixture of uh, tropical weather plus um, ash in the air. Um, so bad ash can damage your car, can damage your lungs. So, uh, and it was a complete overcast today, but the temperature was around uh, 95 degrees today. Um, right now it's around 81. It's 7.656. Um, so, yeah, so the weather here is still uh, consistent. And it, it was also slight to moderate rain today as well. So it's been pretty much all types of stuff hail at this point. Um, the report about the uh, dock workers and the automation uh, coming to replace their jobs. Uh, I have a relative who is a longshoreman, and I'm going to ask him about uh, those uh, uh, the automation at his job to see what he thinks about it and uh, give a report that to the council later. 
Um, COVID, um, okay, so COVID report, um, my attempted spouse, um, who works in the, uh, healthcare department, she got the vaccine originally, um, which is mandatory, uh, but she decided not to get the booster shot, um, and... Today, she received a letter uh, suspending her without pay for five days. And as to go into effect, I believe, in the next couple weeks. Um, so, yeah, that's uh, my reports for this week. Uh, thank you so much for taking my call, Gus, and I'll be more. Jeez. That is crazy. Did they did they have like advanced notification that okay everybody you have to get the uh booster, you have to do it by a certain date, or you know, there are gonna be consequences, or was this kind of a whoa, like what uh just did did she know that this was a possibility? To answer your question, um I guess she suspected it could be, but Again, according to our, over to her uh, guidelines at her job site, the booster is not mandatory, just the vaccination shot. So she got that part, but I guess this is more of a means to encourage people to get uh, the booster as well and to continuously get the vaccination shot of the year, I guess. That's what I'm guessing because she uh, decided not to get her, I guess, this year vaccination shot, I guess. So that's also a part of it. Wow. Man, I'm very sorry to hear that. Um wow, that is uh hmm. I I've been saying like I think, you know, it's kind of faded from people aren't talking about that every day, but oof, that is still like such an ongoing massive issue. Uh, just man to be suspended like that. No pay. Gotta go. You can go out and kill black people and get suspended and be on what they call paid administrative leave for like months, six months, a year like where eh, maybe he strangled killed a negro, shot him 115 times, but you know we might take a year to think about it paid vacation over just the booster I did get the vaccine over the booster wow I could see this, especially uh, for, I could think, a lot of non-white people who are in vulnerable positions, especially depending on what part of the country that you're in. But to pre- now, you can even contrast that with the number of, like in Portland and other uh, police officers, enforcement officers, where they're in areas where they have the same sort of guy, like you're supposed to be, you know, vaccinated or booster and all the rest of it. And, eh, not doing that. They refused wouldn't enforce it didn't terminate didn't go around and fire all these folks just well we'll have to change the policy that happened in that happened in a number of areas not just portland wow that's what i've said i think it's so important just to you know stay mindful about that covid19 situation and 
regardless of where you happen to be at because that's just going to be ongoing it seems like it could be here for a while even still uh, and that sort of pressure and having to make decisions about you know these booster shots and all the rest of it do you get it are you not going to get it is there going to be punishment are they going to be that punitive in the workplace wow um yeah I'm very sorry to hear that report hopefully all that will work out well and she won't be pressured because uh, that's what I've seen with white people like you're not going to push us around you're not going to tell us what to to do with our body my body my decision that's what they've been saying for a long time so hopefully she'll be able to have some autonomy uh, with her medical choices and still be gainfully employed, paid on time, uh, not just an excuse to bully uh, non-white people uh, in the workplace. Um, definitely let us know the update when you speak with the other non-white people uh, who are in the area about the uh, job automation on what's, I guess, happening in that area. Uh, with all of that, uh, he said there's still... The combination with the wildfires that they've been having in California and the, all of that is related, uh, as I said before, calling those extreme heat events. All of that related where they've been talking about that, where ash in the air and it's humid and muggy and not. Oh, my God. Like, I can't. They had that here in Seattle uh, when all this first started with the Rona in 2020. Uh, they had wildfires that were very close. I think it was either in Oregon or some other part of Washington state. But they had all that ash in the air. Uh, and so you couldn't even have the windows open. They were saying with COVID, you want ventilation and have the windows open. And because we had all that ash and smog and everything and up, oh, got to close the windows, close the blinds. And uh, it just made it whew, a super repugnant situation. So hopefully you all are staying hydrated and can get through that as best you can. No more brawling uh, in the parking lot over uh, shaded parking Another proud product of the white education system. Bravo. Uh, let's see. Other folks who dialed in with a hand up. Uh, if you have commentary to share, line should be open. Proceed. Greetings, everyone. Retired firefighter in Florida. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Uh, that uh, that firefighter, uh, the the black male firefighter that uh, that was, I think you said forced to uh, go to a uh, a uh, party. Uh, I was just thinking it must be a pretty small fire department, and uh, didn't have much. Uh, Union power, I guess, for him to have to uh, go to an event, uh, unless unless he was naive to the point and thought that uh, uh, prior to getting to the party, that it was going to be something uh, something that he uh, would appreciate going to until he found out later on inside of the party. And I've just thinking about that. Uh, also, uh, you reminded me about, uh, uh, with the last thing that you were talking about, uh, speaking of the fire department also, uh, with, uh, people not taking the, uh, 
getting the vaccine. Uh, there was a white firefighter. Uh, I forget if it was Miami-Dade County or City of Miami uh, that uh, wrote a letter uh, after this uh, law enforcement official for Miami-Dade County was shot to death in the line of duty. And he wrote a letter about uh, and and about uh, his uh, his anger over the funeral processions, how long they are, how huge they are, uh, blocking traffic, and that sort of thing. And apparently, he must have been uh, involved in some of these professions because they also use fire rescue in some of these professions after uh, one of these law enforcement officials get killed in the line of duty. It's not all funeral. It's even even after the uh, the body comes from the medical exam medical examiner's office. Uh, they have the fire department to go out and raise their ladders and and uh, the rescue units line up and follow the police cars. And he was he was actually complaining about that. And and the part that's relevant to the conversation that I heard uh, on the cows was uh, he mentioned about and some of in, in quote unquote some of you guys. Uh, refused to take the uh, the uh, uh, COVID the COVID uh, 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 medication and then decide to uh, catch COVID and whatnot. And I'm just tired of it. So th I would imagine that that was an example of him breaking the white code because they fired him. Uh, the last I heard. Uh, and that's from a newspaper. I don't be asking anybody about it on the news. Uh, that, uh, he is, he wrote a quote unquote letter of apology <laughs> so, and trying to get back on the job. <laughs> uh, which could be possible, you know, could be possible as far as that concern. Uh, but, uh, yeah, that was just something that I was thinking of, uh, over those two things, but uh, also uh, with something I'm a little bit more familiar with also uh, with that first report that you uh, put out before you officially came on with the program uh, about the uh, the uh, uh, colleges and HBC and also the HBCUs, uh, the, the top NCAA colleges uh, people probably know are multi-billion dollar businesses, individually, some of them. I mean, the University of Michigan uh, has had over 100,000 people go to every game that they've played in that stadium since 1969. Every game, I don't care who they're playing, I don't care who University of Michigan is playing in football, that they have at least over 100,000 people at the stadium. And we're just talking about one institution. Uh, these, these, uh, with, the, with the football and, and basketball programs, they, they, uh, they don't even need the, the university at some of these schools for help financially. They can operate on their own. And as, 
as I think the narrator stated that the vast majority of the athletes, I want to say employees, because uh, uh, off, off scale, that's what they are, actually. But they that's why they call them student athletes, because they don't want to call them employees. Because to call them employees, that would mean that they should be paid like anybody else on a job. Uh, because they certainly earn money for the university, for the coaching staff of all of these teams. I mean, the University of Alabama's coach, white male, makes more money than any any state official in the state of Alabama. And that's just with his coach's salary. Not talking about the commercials that he do that he does and other things that he does uh you know, he makes millions of dollars also, you know, with that. And, I mean, you could look at a University of Alabama football game and you would see out of the 22 starters, all of them are black. Every last one of them are black. Uh, and uh, and they get very little out of it as far as they're concerned. And they're, I put it this way, everything that a job has – in medical insurance, uh, you know, those are the only thing, the main thing that they don't get is a salary. <laughs> they don't get a salary at all. Uh, you know, so, uh, you know, that's basically, uh, the, uh, the mistreatment that I look at as far as that concern, you know, by being that majority of the players on those two sports of, of black males. But anyway, that's that's my uh, that's my report. Thank you. Much obliged, retired firefighter. They will get a healthy dose of brain damage. That is for sure. Uh, let's see the firefighter report. Let's go ahead since I, I totally had this. Have it right now. Had and I said I had both sides, not just the firefighter bucket of chicken, but then the response. From the the his boss and all that. Whoa, whoa, whoa! whoa. I don't have a racist bone in my body. We we weren't doing anything racist. We were just let, let's get to the report. CBS. This is from August 12, 2022. Black firefighter alleges captain took group to racist party with display mocking Juneteenth holiday. A legal filing by a black firefighter in Western New York, who right near Buffalo, alleges he was pressured by a superior into going to a party that contained racist imagery. In a notice of claim filed Thursday, Gerard Jones said the party occurred last month at a private home. We talked about that early, going to these private affairs uh, in a wealthy section of Rochester, not that far from Buffalo. He and two other firefighters attended after their captain, Jeffrey Creewy, K-R-Y-W-Y, allegedly told them they should all go to the party. Mm. Jones, a 14-year department veteran, became uneasy when he arrived at the house and saw a cardboard cutout figure of former President Donald Trump. Since firefighters aren't supposed to attend partisan political events while on duty, his attorney, Nate McCurry, said Thursday. Jones said he then saw a display mocking the Juneteenth holiday which celebrates the end of slavery in the 19th century with Juneteenth flags displayed 
over buckets of fried chicken. In addition, a woman allegedly impersonated a local Democratic official and performed a sexually suggestive dance and pictures of Democratic politicians were attached to stakes in the yard. Mr. Fuller, doesn't he say, uh, doesn't get any better than tacky? Uh, let's see. In the incident cut me very deeply, Jones said at a news conference. I decided to speak up today because I have two children who may one day, maybe one day, will aspire to become firefighters, and I don't want them to experience what I experienced. Jones said he told superiors about the incident and requested to not be assigned to work under Crewy, but was denied. I will stop there. So, and that's why I talk so many times. These racist events we are required to attend where it's not a situation where you know hey these are my homies and let's go hang out where they say he's we're not even supposed to be at partisan events on duty like hey what the world and they could have just hey we're in a wealthy neighborhood and all that so we got money they could have just went to Publix I don't know what they got in there. they could have went to Tops I don't know if they got balloons at Tops they could have went to Whole Foods they could have went anywhere and just got some part, regular old party favors. Balloons. Little party whistles. It's summertime. Get an ice cream cake. Three of them, maybe. Put some pictures of some of the people that work at the company on the cake. How about that? That's so funny. They could have put a, put a picture of uh, a Dalmatian. On the ice cream cake. Oh, that's so fun. They could have put a picture of a dog. Everybody loves dogs. They could have put a picture of a dog taking a whiz on the fire hydrant. Oh, everybody love him. We got a little urine joke. No, 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 no. Buckets of fried chicken with the June. We put the red, black, and green with the KFC. <laughs> really? Sexually suggest Really? the fire department man we can't just classy courteous respectful we come we have some good healthy food we could have a big vet go to whole foods get a big veggie platter platter summertime they could have went outside grilled sang some songs and went no 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 doesn't get any better than tacky So in this sort of situation with Mr. Jones, it, that, that's why I talk about all the time. If you are required to go, ooh, it is super codified. And this is why I say you try to see if you can go with one other person. Pictures. Bam. I'm tipped. Steaks in the yard. Look at that. Look at that. Look at that. Look at that. Buckets of KFC. Look at that. Look at that. Look at that. Look at that. Pictures. Video. What have you. While you're there. And that one. Oh, yeah. We're going to be here. What? 15 minutes? 20 minutes? Oh, yeah. Got to go. Gus, can I say something? Let's hear it. Based on based on what I've heard from your report, he's he'd been on the job for fourteen years. That's a that's a considerable long time. That he would probably know a lot of those those fellow employees that that he has. 
and he's that he's actually worked with and actually on a job like that also know their personality you know that sort of thing and uh i think i think also in his case it was a case of not saying that he should have been mistreated in the first place uh there's no excuse for that but i think it was probably with a level of naivety that i've seen a lot on a, on that job that i was on uh, that it, it is, it's the idea of to get along with the other employee, other employees, even at the, even at the point of being mistreated, uh, that sort of thing. And, uh, and most of the situations that are similar to that one, that is almost exactly I've actually witnessed it of how a uh black coworker on the fire department gets gets mis that's the that's the person that becomes the victim because of the easier easier uh prey. Uh I mean I could have gotten mistreated. I've could have gotten mistreated uh uh well I've gotten mistreated but in that fashion, they would have worked. They would have had to work a little bit harder to mistreat me. If so it and it it would be much more easier with some other co-work, some other black co-workers on a job like that, that they would have came to and said, "I think it's a good idea that you should go to this." You know, so that doesn't sound like a, a requirement to me. <laughs> You know, it doesn't sound like a requirement to me. And like I said, with that 14 years on the job, I would know something about just about everybody on that. They don't sound like a large fire department either. Definitely not as large as the one that I was on. Uh, you know, and uh, so I'm just thinking, I'm just thinking those things uh, when, the, when the report was coming up. Just some thoughts. That's it. Much obliged, retired firefighter uh, in Florida. One thing I will say, they, the first sentence in this report is he was pressured by a superior into going to a party. That's their languaging at the CBS report. And then in the second paragraph, second sentence, it says, he and two other firefighters attended their captain, Jeffrey Kyrie, allegedly told them they should all go. That right there... We talked about in, in this exact context with these parties, and he said that they were on duty. That's in the third paragraph, final sentence of the third paragraph, where apparently they were on duty. So there are certain rules about what's supposed to be happening, what's not supposed to be happening, including no partisan imagery, which it seems like there was a lot of that at this party. So if they're on duty, that makes me kind of think, dang, maybe this was required pressured even even that when you have a white person who is their language your superior who says oh you should go hmm what I've said even on the program because we've had people who've dialed in who've said hey I've lost jobs I think our uh, mommy in Michigan was saying that she worked someplace and they had one of these sort of shindigs and she didn't go and then she got terminated not long afterwards and we asked, we said, man, do you think that had something to do with it? And she said, it, it may have. 
Uh, and so I've said for years, like, hey, for this sort of scenario. And I think even the young lady who dialed in where she said they were flirting with her and stuff on the job. She told us last year they told her it wasn't required. Say, hey, come on, we got Christmas parties. Nah, I'm good. Y'all been, you know, coming back here and cat calling me and all the rest. I'm good. I said, what? You got to come to the nah, nah, nah. Y'all going to be liquored up. and I, I'm, I'm good. I'm good. I don't even do Christmas like that. I'm good. She said that they were giving her side eyes and dirty looks for like the next seven, eight months. Like we got out here next to Juneteenth and they were still like, didn't want to come to Christmas. That was last year. And <laughs> walking around grumbling. So I mean, man, with many of these situations with these so-called uh, holiday or I wouldn't even call them holiday parties because sometimes it'll just be an office get together that has nothing to do with a so-called holiday, but it'll be you better be there or implied you better be there or hmm, me looking at you kind of funny around here for a while so certainly you have many non-white people who are very uh, uninformed confused about what it means to be right white racism white supremacy in general which does make it very easy for white people racist to manipulate and abuse us on the job but with many of these parties just the power dynamics of white supremacy racism because a lot of times there are penalties uh, if you don't attend these events uh, so yeah I think that that is certainly important one thing we had another email I want to make sure I get that in as well then we'll nab other folks who dialed in and folks have uh, thoughts on this event and again man the response from the white uh, wife even where they can hey 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 yeah 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 we had fried chicken everybody loves fried chicken we're not right. We don't have racist bone in our body. Nah. Anywho, uh, we have a person who wrote in. Make sure we get her commentary as well. Uh, this is our female listener, investor. She has the white supervisor for a boss. She wrote in racist moments for the week. Number one, uh, attended a divisional meeting this week. The chair is rotated. And this week, a racist suspect male married to an Asian female cowbell with whom he has two non-white children led the meeting he used to own a coffee shop which was a topic of discussion Wellsing moment that is correct this conversation went on for about 10 minutes between him and another racist suspect male ending in sexual innuendo apparently he likes a full rotated grind with an injection shot all in quotes he ended the conversation there with a smirk our director was in the meeting and did join in for parts of the conversation he is another racist suspect who makes comments which could be deemed sexist so in no moral position to correct their behavior I just observed with out comment always best there have been other jokes made about how people's legs look like in shorts for the summer between men with the suggestion of a best legs competition and another joke about buggy smugglers I'll let you google it what in the world any of this appropriate for the workplace and the homoeroticism of it all like what 
<laughs> you got a bunch of white men sitting around and judging each other's legs. <sighs> Number two. The policy around the use of Zoom chat came up this week. Unsurprisingly, any key decisions, direction written in the chat should be screen captured. It is also subject to the Freedom of Information Act and can be recovered even if deleted after 30 days. Now we're being told by senior management to be careful what is written in the chat function. Duh! I will continue to use emails so it makes it no difference how I operate. We'll see what impact this makes to my racist manager's behavior. Now that is significant because she's told us a number of times where her white female supervisor will deliberately use this uh, chat feature to make comments or what have you or to say things to have communications that are not going to be long-term recorded so that there's no evidence of what she said or didn't say. That's interesting that they come to say that, oh yeah, the, the data can be recovered even if it's deleted after 30 days. Same thing that we talked about way back victim in New Jersey all that time before hey there are no secrets on the planet they are always watching and listening even if they say oh this is deleted you know it's not going to be saved or what have you they probably have a way of recovering that data if they really want it Same thing that I said to victim in New Jersey. You know your code is solid, so they give you this sort of informa information or what have you. It's always recovered and be careful and blah, 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 blah. That doesn't impact your code at all. She said, Psh, I keep doing what I'm doing. I liked using the email because that makes sure we got a record. That's how you know you got solid. I don't have to go and change things every other day or every other week as they make adjustments or what. I just keep doing exactly what I'm doing because it's based on logic. She continues number three. The who am I presentations continue at divisional meetings each week a different member of the team talks about their background career history hobbies family life etc I'm avoiding doing mine but we'll soon have to do it what has been interesting is hearing firsthand how easy white people get jobs without any experience by asking other whites to help them out they move in and out of jobs with ease Thanks to the unjust network. Thanks for the platform. Absolutely. There's so that's how you end up with all these incompetent carries and varsity blues and what have you. The whole scandal. These folks have faked and lied on all these applications. We had one of our investors in the Pacific Northwest. She was talking about up in Alaska. Uh, they had faked the whole resume and what have you, and they had a big controversy about all of this. This is so rampant where white people, they don't have to be competent. They don't have to be qualified. They have, they have a community. They got homies who got their back. Oh, you need a job? No problem. 
put that old fakery resume together and whammo, experience, schmexperience, ah, classified as white, we got you. Get this nigger here to train you. She's got a PhD, did you know that? Valedictorian. Be well trained to be her supervisor. That is why we are trying urgently to solve this problem immediately. Let us see. The number again, 720-716-7300. The code 564-943-POUND. Press star 61 if you would like to participate. The email until justice at gmail dot com until justice at gmail dot com do not wait till the last moment you have commentary thoughts observations or suggestions to share uh, let's see uh, our caller 2899 our caller at the courthouse in Florida with us as well all the other folks uh, feel free good evening Gus may I be heard Yes, ma'am. This is the young lady that I mentioned before where now these, you know, Juneteenth jamborees and all that, they may not necessarily be required, but they will. Hey, <clears throat> got the Christmas party. What? You don't want to go? Hmm. And then they look at you all sideways for the next eight months. Isn't that you? Didn't that happen with you? That, yes, that that is a, that's correct. And I was gonna, I wanted to give a little some commentary, you know, on that. Aside to some also uh, some workplace um, incidences. Um, so for that issue, you know, like I, I told you, you know, once I kind of uh, I, I I would advise, you know, if anyone's listening, to you know just use the excuse of you know, hey, I uh, you know grew up Jehovah's Witnesses. Or, you know, something to that effect. And that seems to have alleviated a lot of the pressure. So, you know, I don't have to worry about, you know, birthday cards or anything or, you know, having to get involved in buying all of that. And, you know, recently it was my, you know, boss's birthday, which I really, only way I knew was because of they have like a large calendar out in the break room that has everyone's birthday. And, you know, I didn't really, you know, go you know, to him to say anything, because um, I don't want it to, you know, set that expectation, but he, you know, came by my office and was like, oh, you know, it's, uh, you know, my, my birthday, and I'm going to be, you know, doing X, Y, Z, and I, you know, once he said it, then, you know, I, you know, just simply did an, you know, an acknowledgement, but I, you know, just out more of a, I guess, a courtesy type thing, but I have, you know, since I've been there, uh, I just hit my one-year mark um, last month. You know, I've tried to kind of set the president, so that way I'm not expected to come out of my pocket to, you know, buy gifts or, um, you know, with that weird type of uh, expectation. But I've found, you know, since uh, the Jehovah's Witness, that's kind of been my excuse. That pressure has been uh, very much kind of uh, alleviated Um but we will see because, uh, you know, holidays are around the corner, but, um, you know, I'll keep, you know, using that as my excuse. Um, and just wanted to share two incidences uh, at work. Um, one incident um, happened, uh, you know, a, a couple of weeks ago. I, I tried to save them, um, you know, to share with you. And um, I, it was 
uh, I don't know if it was more of a sexist thing, but, uh, you know, one of the white male managers, uh, you know, was talking and uh, he was made some a weird comment about, oh, you know, you can come to the office and you cook us all banana pudding, which I found that kind of strange. He would, you know, propose that. So I kind of looked at him, you know, funny because I don't know if I'm supposed to be like their maid or um, house uh, Negro. So that, that was a bit, you know, odd because I would imagine they would never propose that to or say that to like a, a, a white female without, you know, cooking them food. And I never, I do not bring food to share at work. Um, second incident happened uh, with a, a male, um, non-white, uh, Hispanic colleague. Um, you know, he came into my office and, uh, like you said, you know, you're kind of held hostage because he's a superior advisor. Um, and he, you know, was trying to, I guess, make conversation. And then he started, you know, trying to ask about, uh, if I had, you know, he, he knows I have a child. I don't have pictures or things up, but I kind of work for a school district and all that kind of uh, comes within that territory. And then he was like um, asking me, oh, are you going to have any more children or, you know, and that question just kind of struck me as odd coming from a uh, male who I do not, uh, you know, really speak with. And um, I have one other situation and this is a uh, female, uh, non-white, uh, African-American lady. Um, like you said, we don't have an alliance, but, you know, I try to, you know, be cordial, although we work in different areas. And uh, she made some comments this week, which I find odd, um, regarding, um, you know, my body. And she was saying, you know, you don't, when you walk, she, you said, you know, she said, um, you don't feel them looking at you, their eyes. I said, no, I don't, I don't feel anything. I just go to my office. I wasn't going to do any type of commentary. Um, and this isn't the first time she's made these kind of uh, comments. And I thought to myself, you know, what would make her, you know, she just feels, you know, comfortable um, saying things that are inappropriate. Uh, while at the same time, you know, she is experiencing some strife in her department. She has um, a friend, she's friend, a friend with this uh, Mexican female, and I, they recently promoted her or created a new position for the Mexican uh, female. So now her position is open, and I saw what the white supremacists did. Um, they basically waited until this African-American female was out of the office and they are interviewing other people. They're not going to give her the position, although she has the seniority, but they strategically waited until she was out of the office to start interviewing people. And one, how I came to know is that one of the um, applicants, uh, you know, rang the bell to come in for the interview, and she went through the uh, wrong area, so I had to walk her over there. But surprisingly, I think they're going to try to make this lady quit because the person who they are interviewing and who I suspect they will hire is also an African-American lady. 
And so I think they're going to um, hire her. And uh, in turn, this is going to create strife with the other uh, black female who's been there for over 20 years in the department. And basically they are overlooking her. So it's like you said, it's um, them manufacturing or creating friction, you know, between two non whites because they're bringing someone from the outside in. And so she doesn't really have an idea of this because, uh, you know, they waited um, until she was out of the office and I just happened to be the one. And I, I hope you know, that they don't ask, she doesn't ask me anything because, you know, I'm not going to get in the middle of that, but for them to hire another black candidate, that's going to pit them um, against each other and ultimately uh, cause the other female to resign. Um, And that's all I had for uh, this week and I'll mute my line. Thank you. When the, uh, when the white fella meandered back there and said, uh, hey, you going to have any more children? What was your uh, response? You know, Gus, um, it may not have been a, a codified response. I just said, you know, I, you know, I don't I, I don't really know who knows what the what, what the future holds. Um, he's also, you know, made comments before about, I, you know, I know your husband would be, you know, X, Y, Z. And this is in the past. This is a uh, Hispanic. So, um, and I just like, I, maybe again, it was not a codified answer. And I was, I don't know in that instance for that one, if I said, you know, I don't have a husband or cause it to me, it just seems like they're trying to find out information. But to answer your question, when he asked that, I was like, um, you know, I don't, no, I don't know what the what the future holds. You know, anything can happen. I try to leave it like open, general, not giving a yes or a no. But that was just uh, strange. And when he left, he said, um, you know, if you need anything, anything, you know, just just let me know, and um, you know, I can um, help you, or you know, because I'm the one. He's a director that he controls, like the. Um, like like the finances, so I don't know what if he was his how he's inferring what he's inferring or why he would ask that if they're trying to see if I'm uh, trying to have a child to, to determine like if I'm uh, serious about a career. So um, I hope I hope that answers your question. Wow, wow, wow! If uh, <laughs> if if you had that one to do over again. Would you change your response or would you keep that, that response? Um, I, I get, I just thought I left it kind of open cause I didn't know, want to say yes, because then I felt like, okay, then that's going to bring in the trying to figure out, you know, if you're single or if you're paired. So just, I thought it'd be best to not really um, go into detail because, you know, I've told you they kind of ask a lot of, um, you know, uh, questions and things of that nature. So um, I, I thought just not really giving too much information or leaving it vague would be the best. So they couldn't ascertain, you know, my um, my status, I, I suppose. I see. I see. Thank you for indulging. I agree. It's such a, a unprofessional and bizarre question. 
um, like I can if, <clears throat> if for me to ask I can put this as a male so for me to ask a mother that question are you gonna have more children we would have to have like a really close rapport it cannot just be we happen to sit kind of close together on a job and she said she's been you've been there a year so that's max that would be if we hang out every single day at the water cooler and we sit together at every single meeting and we've done all the zooms and everything else and that is not the case like what in the world to even be asking that sort of quite like I would not so absolutely like that's a, that's why I say like man sometimes they really get you because they ask such craziness but that's one I, I totally agree why am I even giving you any information <clears throat> I was just thinking of the phrasing how I would say because it, it normally would be oh I don't discuss politics I'm discussing policy I don't discuss my child rearing <laughs> like woo or child birthing in the place uh, in the workplace like wow that I mean but I mean hey yeah that that would do it like uh, I, I don't discuss my family planning in the workplace thank you certainly you could say it the other way too because that accomplishes the same thing I'm not sure accomplishes the same thing but I mean that is so inappropriate unprofessional creepy that's why I rung the cowbell like all of that I think that's <clears throat> at least in my view it's very much in sync with uh, the black female who's saying you know don't you see them watching you and staring at you and all that and what she said before about these folks coming to malinger back in her work area to ask her all these goofy questions and she had that or not i won't even say goofy unprofessional and bizarre and then she had the white man previously who came and said oh you know you know, got me old dark woman myself you see look at my instagram here look at us look at us interracial romance right there see see all of that i said is Oh yeah, they're trying to come back and yeah, see if I can get some feelings. See if we can get her out liquored up and go do something this weekend. That's all of that. It's just some more tacky and trashiness, all of this. Uh and the other people are seeing it like, look at that. They're just sitting around here looking at her gawking all day long. Another reason why I say, Hey, in the workplace, no reason at all. You are in shape. You don't eat Cheetos. You take care of yourself. You drink your water. You're not drinking sodas and all that juicy juice. <sighs> the workplace is not the place to show off. Not saying she's doing that. Just saying generally for everybody. That is not the place where you want to go and show off your legs. And I am so toned. Look at my flat tummy. No. Super prudish. Nothing tight fitting. I'm going to do my short skirts or what have you. Snug dresses. Professional. Talked about this before. Repeat it. And that's why you got all these lecherous racists. Who am I modeling for? Incidentally, it sounded like this victim was saying this to you. I don't know. Like envy or jealous. Like, I don't know what that is. <laughs> These are racist. Like this is not some. Oh, look at all the attention! Man, please, <laughs> folks are coming back here saying all this. Did you hear this nonsense that they're coming back here and talking about? Come on, get it together, man. Uh, let's see. She uh, and, and like and 
and I, and I wanted to say, just like you mentioned before, like a lot of these things, um, that not in this instance, the events you feel and maybe, you know, um, you may be, be self-employed or, you know, you, it's still white supremacy, but you ha- may have more control or, you know, leverage. But um, when you have a director who is over you and you are like a assistant and, you know, they come into your office, you're not exactly in the position to shoo them out. Do you know what I mean? You're not of uh, in the system of uh, white supremacy. You're already not on an equal footing, but even more so whenever you're on a lower, much lower level than them. And when he was sitting in there, his managers came in and were like, oh, we've been looking for you for the past five minutes and you, you've been back here. You know, so he left his side of the, his office, you know, to sit back there and um, try to, you know, ask, you know, ask the questions. And, and I won't interrupt you anymore. I just wanted to add, you know, that, you know, there's that, that pressure whenever it's somebody that is, you know, over you. <laughs> and when you're in those kind of a, a subservient type role or position, uh, you know, you feel it even even more so. And I, I won't interrupt. I'll, I'll meet my line. I just wanted to, you know, reiterate that part. White power dynamic. Absolutely. And that's why we use the term uh, being held hostage. That's not a metaphor. That's literal. That's power dynamic. Exactly what she said. I can't do that. What are you doing, white man? Talking about my birthing practices. Get out of here. That's just what you like. You might not even say you just look at them like they're crazy. Like, what are you even talking about? I'm not even going to dignify that with a syllable. White power dynamic can't do that. Same thing with the Nana pudding. Jeff, can I respond? Yes, sir. Just give right. me one second. I just wanted to say about the, the Nana pudding before we uh, forget. Sometimes they'll have so many things you lose things. The Nana pudding. I said that for years, I would never, she didn't talk about food. I'm just saying I would not, I would never, ever, 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 ever talk about food in the workplace ever because it's going to go something tacky just like that. That's all every time, 10 times out of nine. That's the way I meant to say it. That's the way it goes. She didn't even bring up food. How did we get here? She said, I never told them about banana pudding. I don't have pictures up in my office. They have not seen me snacking on banana pudding. I didn't put that on my resume. What's your favorite food? Banana pudding? No. Where did that come from? You need to have us some banana pudding. That is straight gone with the wind. What I said before. Hattie McDan. What in WTH? Sorry, I did my uh, potty mouth yesterday. WTH. Now, I wouldn't, you know, ask that, but I mean, for reals, do you ask it? Is anybody else expected to bring Nana Pudding to the workplace? I was feeling frisky on a particular day. <laughs> question lane. There you go. But power dynamic, if, you know, these are the bosses or what have you, maybe not. But I mean, what? I'm definitely writing that down either way. Nana, how do you even know that I make banana pudding? Oh, that's just what I just said. Hattie McDaniel. That's what you expect of your nigger woman. Of course you can bring us. Now, that's the best nana pudding. Get the old nigger woman to bring us some nana pudding. And then some nigger pudding. Mm, cowbell, that's why I'm running. Yes. Uh, victim in New Jersey. Yes, sir. Um, yes, just um, to, to give some uh, statement and also, like, suggestions. I would say in that in that situation, just from, from, from my experiences, um, that's why when I go into a workplace, 
I kind of like already kind of like established how I want to be treated. Um, so I think in that case, a simple question like, um, excuse me, I mean, you know, asking is, is this a workplace question? You know what I'm saying? To just kind of like, you know, just change the direction of the conversation and also establish um, your boundaries. You know what I'm saying? So now if you if you don't establish your boundaries right away, what I found, it becomes difficult later because then you could be easily, uh, they can easily say, oh, wow, you know, um, call a uh, victim from New Jersey. You know, he's acting strange or he's, you know, uh, yeah, I noticed the same thing. He doesn't come in. He doesn't speak. So I, I think that's why I think it's so important to establish boundaries early. I don't know how long um, she's been on the job, but I say, I, I would say, honestly, change um, the way you interact with them immediately. Do not let the, do not let that question in or do not let this go on too long because the longer it goes on, the harder it's going to be to reverse this behavior and when you do set boundaries, you're going to be the one that looks like, you know, angry. What's wrong with with this particular person? And you could be easily, you know, somebody can easily have other people on the workplace turn against you. So that would be my suggestion. Hmm. Victim in... New Jersey. I think she said she's been there about a year or close to a year or so approximately uh, in the workplace. Uh, Walter Beach does recommend cutting things at the knees because uh, I've seen that as well where behaviors will escalate. Now, this was a job where she was prepared to quit. So <laughs> at some level, I guess uh, she hasn't been a total uh, pushover in the workplace, but definitely there's been uh, lots because it just seems like they are asking her to go out to drink and asking her to go out to the Christmas parties and coming back here and kind of flirting low-key these little sexual advance type things and you know that's in my view all of this you know look at my wife here I got this dark woman and you know you don't have any more children all of this stuff is inappropriate and you know sexually solicitous solicitous in my opinion uh, kind of on low-key level uh, and all the rest of it like uh, it's it's it is a lot uh, to man. Then from high, as she said, higher up, sometimes they're not even her direct superiors that are coming back with this misconduct. So, yeah, but setting those boundaries, very, very important. I definitely agree. And yeah, for that, that sort of question, even as I'm thinking about it, I like the I don't know response as well, because that way you don't have to give them, you know, real standoffish type of a thing and you've accomplished the same goal. But yeah, wow, it's a lot to deal with. Let's see other folks who. Uh, dialed in that we have missed totally. I think caller at the courthouse if he had commentary as well should be with us. Yeah, I'll be heard. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Thank you very much, sir. Greetings to Gus, the host, the listeners, and callers. Um, I was I, I finally found where I placed the the uh the printout of the newsletter and I just wanted to read that first page and there's some other pages but I'll just I wanted to really read this front page. Uh it was sent out on the first of September 
and it reads, it says, now this is the white man in charge. It, uh, it reads, school is back in session and the town is buzzing again with students everywhere in the anticipation of a new football season building. It is an exciting time in town as the weather starts to cool and the tropics heat up. For this month, though, I will share a fable. And then it reads about the crow. So it says, a crow was flying over a dusty desert, becoming desperately thirsty. No water could be found, and the crow was beginning to become weak and fearful. Near losing its fight against dehydration, the, co the crow spotted a pitcher below. The crow flew down to the pitcher and looking inside, found there was water in the bottom that could save it from certain death. The crow went to put its head inside the pitcher to get to the water, but couldn't reach it as the neck of the pitcher was too thin. The crow then tried to tilt the pitcher, but couldn't move it as the pitcher was too heavy. The end was getting near for the crow, but the water was out of reach. Near succumbing to death, the crow spotted some small stones nearby and had an idea. One by one, the crow scooped up a stone and placed it inside the pitcher. Soon enough, enough stones were in the pitcher that the water level had risen to where the crow could reach it with its beak. The crow filled itself with the water and flew on. And then the last paragraph reads, it is a simple tale, but provides a useful moral. We are often faced with situations that may seem impossible. Work can create all types of challenging situations, and we may feel overwhelmed or that it is just, or that it just can't be done. But if we think and work hard, we can find a solution to any problem. So if you ever find yourself facing what seems like an impossible situation, take a step back, look around, and think creatively. Often a situation will present itself, and with a little hard work, what once seemed impossible can be a problem of the past. Fly on. Let's, it says, let's fly on. And one last quick thing is uh, they have a segment of it where it's, it's called getting to know employees. And this is a person that is a clique member with uh, a white and a non-white parent. And just this first question, it reads, what was your first job? And her response was at a restaurant called Cracker Boys. I was a cashier hostess. Now it's called Cracker Boys. Um, and I think it's in Crystal River, Florida. Uh, and one last thing, it says, if a song could play every time you walked into a room, what would that song be? Your entrance music. And it's, she put Warning by Morgan Wallen. And I think he was using the word nigger. So uh, that, like, I wanted to read those two and I'll read the, the chief deputies. One that he had with the same kind of metaphors, but it's about thunderstorms. But yeah, that, that's all I wanted to share. Wow. Cracker Boy, is this it? Cracker Boys Barbecue? Are you serious? I'm done. I'm done. I'm done. Cracker Boys Barbecue. They got a pig and a barrel. <laughs> I'm done. 
I'm done. In a sombrero, no less. A pig in a barrel with a sombrero on his head. Cracker boy. I'm done. I'm done. I'm done. Uh, <sighs> the crow. Let me get back to the crow. Uh, uh, now, he said a couple weeks ago, he said that uh, one of his co-workers saw this here, whatever you want to call it, parable, report, posting, whatever. She saw this and she said, hmm, I think they're talking about black people. Now I said, dang, now she's, I don't think, a cow's listener, doesn't seem like, maybe, I don't think she has a doctorate in English, she didn't, she didn't tell us all that. Maybe she studies language, use of words in her spare time. That could be. He said, she just saw it and said, man, enough to comment out loud to tell him, man, I think they're talking about black people. <laughs> I said, dang, that is, uh, okay. So now we get to hear it now. I don't know. Maybe if, you know, I had heard this a few weeks ago, it would have been different. But we now that I've had to sit here and for two weeks look at images of black people with no water in Jackson, Mississippi, black people with no Hmm. water in Baltimore, Maryland, black people with no water in the San Joaquin Valley in California. And Newark, you mentioned New Jersey already, and Flint, and Detroit. They just had a boil water notice as well, where it's just been all over the country for the last mm, 10 days or so. Black people with no water. The Jackson situation has been ongoing. That, like, ooh, wow. Now, this came out before all that. Uh, Well, I can't even say that. Some of this has been going on for a while. Take that back. Retraction. My bad. Retraction. This report was published, I think, before it was as salient. It wasn't front page every day. Nationwide. That said, wow. I could totally see. And because they still Jim Crow and all. Of, like I said, just because now I immediately, as soon as he read it, like, ew, this definitely sounds like they're mocking black people. Like, yeah, just keep trying, niggers. Just keep trying. You'll find it. You'll 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 figure it out. You'll get away. Now, this am I this is this came out way before, you know, they had images every day of black people with no water. Right. This is from a couple of weeks ago. Yes. Yes. Uh, the the personnel lady. She sent that out on September the first. It was yes, sir. It was the first. Dang, dang, man! I gotta take that back. E the Jackson situation had been front page news at that time. Uh, unless I, I don't think I'm incorrect on that one. I think yeah, that dang, dang, that is ugly. Oh, that is ugly. <laughs> oh, that is ugly. Wow. <laughs> Wow. <sighs> I was trying to dig. I was trying to give him space like, oh, see, no, nah, this was not the Jackson thing hadn't happened yet. And Baltimore, I think that was more this week. Now, the thing California has been going on for a while and Flint for a while. So, I mean, I was trying. But woo, if that's September one. Yeah, that is real ugly because there had already been images of black people struggling with water by that point nationwide. And oh yes, I'm inspired. There was the parable about the crow that just couldn't get the water. Yes. Just keep trying. Hmm. Hmm. 
and like now he said the but I don't know if she if she explained why she thought oh they're talking about black people I'd be curious to know her reasoning I don't know if she shared it or not but mine I got it I just told you what mine is for why and plus just the crows in general they're so tacky and lame they've been doing that one for a long time they still say Jim Crow and talking about racism so that would be enough but particularly to do it this month. And what's been in the news every day across the country? Oh, yeah. Deliberate and you're just a little racist joke. on. Yeah, we get the same way they do with the newsletter the whole time and the Bernadette and the sweet potato and, you know, all that before. Uh, the cracker? I don't... Hmm. Justin, can I add one on real quick? Yes, sir. Just, just really quick. And, now, and, and speaking of water now, what... what a few years ago, I think it, it was 2019 now, 2019 in the summer, I had went to go speak with him about the warden placing the water bottles on the ground. Remember that on the floor? And she left the building and did not come back. That was all that was water related. No water for the niggers worldwide I am so not surprised I do remember yes <laughs> yes I do remember does not get any better than tacky and contaminating water for black people that is worldwide enterprise right in your face man that's so oh that's so ugly that's right in your face right in your face and this Yes, now we want to talk about the dehydrated crow. Hmm. Does not get any better than tacky. Incidentally, if we have folks who have any suggestions, because that is, I hadn't thought, I don't have children, see? And I'm not a mom. I think that's more of like a mom type question. Because I don't think they would generally ask males on a job. Are you going to have other children? I guess they might, but people can, you can write in and let me know, since I told people to write in untiljustice at gmail.com. But if people have suggestions... What they, if you have daughters, sisters, your mommies in the workplace, they say, hey, suggest aunts, whatever. I need a, a, a suggestion. We got these old no count racists on the job. And they come ask me some lame question. Are you going to have any more children? Codified response. Bang. What would you want them to say? I think the one I like, because you don't have to have a whole lot of moxie or anything. Just I don't know. Three words like, hey. You can ride with everybody can ride with that. You don't have to be informed about racism. You don't have to know Neely Fuller Jr. Nothing. I don't know. What can they say? And you could just repeat that one. If even if they do come back, what does your husband know? I don't know. Do your parents want you to have more grandchildren? I don't know. I think I'd ride with that one. I don't know. It's short, three words, anything that's short, like, hey, unless you got one that's shorter than three words, like, not sure. Hey, hey, not sure. Not sure. That would be mine. Not sure. You can ride with that. You don't have to have a whole lot of study. Two words. And the same thing. What can they say? Not sure. Mission accomplished. Question not answered. You haven't given up any data. I was thinking, like, man, I don't answer questions about family but they were like well we got a sassy nigga you can accomplish the same and that's more words you can accomplish the same thing not sure 
But if folks have a, a suggestion on how they would respond, how they would want, like I said, your daughter, because I, I don't know. And if, if you are a male and you have been asked that question, set gut straight. But I think that would be more of like a, a mommy type of, are you going to have more children? How would you want your daughter or sister or attempted partner, wife, attempted wife, how would you want her to respond? What do you think best response? Not going to cause her any more problems based on your understanding of counter-racist science. My submission is not sure. Two words, quick, no data given. We can move on with the day. Gus, what about, if none of your business, let's go back to work. I like that one too. Now see, that was leaning, my initial inclination was, I don't discuss family planning in the workplace i was leaning in the same way but i said now they could whoa we got a sassy nigger here well that could happen and that's more words that's why i said you can accomplish the same thing with not sure all of those would work i just you might have they might take that as a little more interesting but i mean hey that makes it clear like hey we got as victim in new jersey was saying parameters we're talking about business nothing else we're not just going to be coming in here and you're going to ask me any old question about what i'm doing and who i'm sleeping with and whoa business nothing else so that's when we can all think about we'll be here tomorrow for compensatory call in but we'll ponder on best ways to respond you can try it out even think about it in as you're at home you know how you want to respond to that one try out saying both of them and figure out best ways to respond but we'll think about it and again folks what would you suggest if we have female listeners and or male listeners and if males if you have been asked would you have more children let us know and how did you respond let us know because that is uh man super inappropriate but yes should be a codified response to that too we'll be here tomorrow compensatory call in 9 p.m eastern 6 p.m pacific much obliged for everyone tuning in hope it was worthy of your time and energy Incidentally, when a caller, a second caller shared about the no count racist school system, and he said he couldn't read until he was in the eighth grade down in California. He said, what helped? I thought he was going to say midnight basketball. That's not what he said. Black male educator. How about that? They don't even have black male educators. That's like dinosaurs. Anywho, uh, sobriety would be best under conditions of white supremacy. Uh, if you are about and about sober, buckled up, not on a cell phone, trying to do the small things that we can to stay as safe as possible and trying to minimize contact with race soldiers, badge or no. That's it. Creator, we ask that you help us remain patient with other black people, victims of white supremacy. We ask that you help us remain patient with ourselves. Remind us to demonstrate the highest levels of black self-respect at all times, in all places, each and every time we are in contact with another black person. It has been time. Replace white supremacy with justice immediately. Cow signing out. Thanks all for tuning in. Nigga, you so brainwashed. I'm a victim, Your brother. Problem. I'm a victim of 400 years of conditioning. Shut up. The man has programmed my conditioning. Mm -hmm. 
Even my conditioning has been conditioned. <laughs>